0: back folks it's Jason, josh with factor fantasy that's jason i'm josh and we're here to give you part four of the lord of the rings and the two towers today where we are going to be tackling chapter 17 through chapter 21 and also finish the entire novel so that's gonna be really exciting we're gonna get to the end of the second book in this big series today there's a lot of action there's a lot of uh, unsuspecting players making uh big moves i'll say that and so we're we're excited to jump on in. Before I do, I'll turn the floor over to Chase and let him say a few words.
1: Back in the saddle, baby. Back in the saddle. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, excited for this one. We got some good action today. And uh, just on a side note here, just like I mentioned last episode, you know, it's it's wild how fast we've kind of flown through this thing. Because after today, you know, we have the two differences episodes, and then we're on the last installment of this uh, big You know, one can argue one of the most famous fantasy series of all time. So it's good stuff, man. And I'll let Jay Nelly take it away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. It's definitely, it's very arguably the top fantasy fiction franchise that was ever created. So um, it's definitely in the top three if you don't have it in your number one. You know maybe one day you know, down the road when we are years and years into this maybe chase and i will do a rankings episode of all the fantasy fiction things that we cover and see which one hits number one that'd be kind of cool but
1: uh I, I i just you know i'm biased towards potter you've seen my potter collection so i feel like jay nelly will always have to go to war with me on it but i'll i'll try to uh you know i'll try to be more humble and put You know, it's probably a tie. (laughs) A tie right there. That's good stuff. (laughs) Honestly,
0: like, you know, not to get terribly too off topic, but, like, I'm with you. I mean, Harry Potter was something that kind of we grew up with in in a different way. And so, although this a lot of things are, you know, taken from the Lord of the Rings, it's very hard to put anything above the uh, Harry Potter series. So, I... I don't actually disagree with you there, so. But uh, yeah, let's let's go ahead and give a quick recap of where we we, we left off last week, in case this is your first time joining us. Uh, Last week we covered the perspective of Frodo and Sam. Prior to that, we had followed Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and you know Gandalf came back, and that was cool. And then you know last week we really transitioned into the perspective of Frodo and Sam with everything when they departed the company. And the bigger things that we covered last week were mainly Smeagol ends up joining up with the group. They have a little tussle, and you know, Frodo and Sam get the better of him. and Smeagol basically agrees to help them get to the Black Gate, uh, and in return for his freedom from them, you know, because he was going to be put in the elf rope and it burned him and he couldn't do that, and so they made the deal. And so then Smeagol did some really cool stuff, was helping them pass the dead marshes, which we talked to like a big in-depth in there, and that was some pretty cool, creepy stuff. Uh, they get past the marshes, they end up coming to the Black Gate. It looks like the, they couldn't enter the Black Gate because there was just way too many sentries. It was heavily guarded. There was only that one pass there, and armies were coming uh, into it. And it just there was just really no way they could feasibly walk right into the black gate so Smeagol ends up telling them about a new secret passage and they decide to trust him and they start you know, making their way towards it and they get caught in uh, an old city of Gondor, Ethilian, and they end up having a run-in with Faramir, which happens to be Boromir's brother, and uh, Faramir has a, a choice to make if he's going to, you know, kind of fall in the same footsteps as his brother and take the ring from Frodo, or is he going to make a, a different choice and let him go? And it turns out that uh, he is going to let them go. He he was able to withstand the, the allure of the ring, and that kind of puts us into where we start today, talking at Chapter 17, the Forbidden Pool. Some of the bigger takeaways I have for this chapter. Um, Faramir wakes Frodo up in the middle of the night to show him something important. And so they they walk to a path that's overhanging a cliff of the Forbidden Pool, and this is where we find Smeagol again. So Smeagol got away when they kind of took Frodo and Sam with them after they had that little... Uh, battle with the Oliphants involved in, in the, other, uh, the other army that was going to go to Mordor and Smeagol ended up getting away but now Smeagol's back and he's eating or hunting for fish and eating them in the forbidden pool and that's a death sentence uh, in that city so uh, Faramir tells Frodo that they have to either kill Smeagol or take him prisoner because he can't have the secret location given out to the enemy and so Frodo makes a deal with Faramir that he will go down and basically trick Smeagol into following him So Frodo does make his way down, and Smeagol's arguing with himself between his, like, Gollum self and Smeagol self, and he's eating the fish he caught, and he's becoming more and more like Gollum in this moment, talking about how Master and Precious left him. Uh, I will say, and we're going to talk more about differences, obviously, next week when we jump into the actual differences episodes we're going to do, but the movie makes Frodo's betrayal much sadder because it seemed like until the betrayal, Smeagol had kind of turned a new leaf in the movie. In the book, it's not like that at all. He just never really was able to shake the darker side of himself, in my opinion, so, um, the men end up capturing Smeagol and bind him and take him before Faramir, and at that point, Faramir demands Smeagol tell him where he is taking Frodo and Sam, and Smeagol won't answer, so Frodo tells Faramir all that he knows from what Smeagol told him and Sam back at the Black Gate, And from that, Faramir discerns that Smeagol is leading them to a path called Siroth Ungol, which is very near to Minas Morgul, which is where the Ringwraiths reside. That's their home, the home of the the Nine Riders. Um, Then Faramir cautions them against going that way. But Faramir does give Frodo and all who Frodo take under his protection, which at this point would be Sam and Smeagol, he allows them to travel freely in the realm of Gondor, with the exception of returning to this secret place that they're at, which is currently in Ithilien uh, Faramir repeats the warning to Smeagol that he is under pain of death if he is found without Frodo in the realm of Gondor and Faramir bids Frodo to have a nice little rest while food is prepared for them to take along their journey and that's kind of the big takeaways I had from this first chapter I don't know uh what takeaways you had Chase but let you uh, take it from here
1: no I think you nailed it man I mean that's exactly what I had uh I guess one little um, side note that I had was the way that Frodo was able to call Gollum. Well, I guess you can say Sméagol, Gollum, whatever he decides he is one day to the next. Uh, to him, as he was like had the was getting the fish, and I guess it was like was it like a it was a pool or was it like a waterfall kind of thing? I know in the film they made it look like a big waterfall sort of thing.
0: I think it was both. I think they, there was wall, uh, falls going down into it, but it pooled up at the bottom. So I think it was both like a waterfall and a pool area. Um, and that and he was swimming in the pool because I think there was a tide that was kind of pushing him towards the edge there, but he could swim it. And that's what the, the men were talking about, how he was almost not really human-like because he could do that. So, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, but basically what I was going to say just on a side note was that the way Frodo was able to get him over there, this aids to what you were saying, like how he really couldn't shake that darker side of him in the book. Frodo was only really able to get him over there was because he was using the ring by luring him and saying, like, the precious wants you to come. Like, he wasn't going there to try to actually help Frodo at all. He just, (laughs) once again, this guy, for his own personal benefit, because (laughs) I don't know if he's mentally all there, um... But yeah, that's how Frodo was able to lure him, was the precious, as you call it, the ring. Uh, It wasn't ever to actually help (laughs) Frodo, in my personal opinion. But no, I think you nailed it, man. That was great. Awesome.
0: To kind of take us into the next chapter, which is chapter 18, Journey to the Crossroads, just a few takeaways from this one as well. Like, Faramir gifts Frodo and Sam are called staves, and basically they're kind of like a. Fancy walking stick is the way I read it, uh, but they're made of the fair tree, Lebethron, and that is really cool. And they gave him, like, family gave that to Frodo and Sam, and shaved them down to their heights and re, like, carved the top of it. So it, it just it was a really nice gift for someone who didn't have a lot to give in that time. Because remember, the they're surrounded by the enemy, enemies. T- technically taken over Athelian and they have this one secret stronghold and so to even give them anything at all is just yeah i thought that was it really spoke to uh the character of faramir um to go from there faramir counsels them not to go east just yet but to go on straight under the cover of the woodlands and keep near to the west edge on the outskirts of the forest uh from there though that that ends up kind of taking us to a really weird spot and after a couple of days of travel, they come to a road. And I'm going to read this specifically on my, in my book. It's on page 345. It's like the first two paragraphs here. But um, it says, Yes, Master, dangerous places. This is the road from the Tower of the Moon. Master, down to the ruined city by the shores of the river. The ruined city, yes, very nasty place, full of enemies. We shouldn't have taken men's advice. Hobbits have come a long way out of the path. We must go east now, away up there. He waved his skinny arm towards the darkening mountains. And we can't use this road. Oh, no! Cruel people's come this way, down from the tower. And Frodo looked down onto the road. At any rate, nothing was moving on it now. It appeared lonely and forsaken, running down into empty ruins in the midst. But there was an evil feeling in the air, as if things might indeed be passing up and down that eyes could not see. And Frodo shuddered as he looked again at the distant pinnacles, now dwindling into the night, and the sound of the water seemingly cold and cruel, the voice of Morgulduin, the polluted stream that flowed from the valley of the wraiths." So this is almost contradictory to what Faramir told him to do. He didn't want them to go east right away, but following the route that Faramir told them, it brought them to this really weird thing, so they end up taking Smeagol's advice and turning east here, and eventually they come to what's called the crossroads. And from here, I'm actually going to read a couple pages because I think it's really important. It's just one and a half pages, to be honest. But um, I'm going to read it when you talk about them coming to the crossroads. It says, For about an hour they went on, silently in single file, oppressed by the gloom and by the absolute stillness of the land, broken only now and again by the faint rumbling as of thunder far away or drumbeats in some hollow of the hills. Down from their hiding place they went, and then turning south they steered as straight a course as Gom could find across a long broken slope, and leaned up towards the mountains. Presently, not far ahead, looming up like a black wall, they saw a belt of trees, and as they drew near, they became aware that these were of vast size, very ancient it seemed, and still towering high, though their tops were gaunt and broken, as if tempest and lightning blasted swept across them, but they had failed to kill them or shake their fathomless roots. The crossroads, yes, whispered Gollum, the first words that they had spoken since they left their hiding place. We must go that way, Turning eastward now, he led them up the slope, and then suddenly there it was before them, the southward road, winding its way about the outer feet of the mountains, until presently it plunged into the great ring of trees. "'This is the only way,' whispered Gollum. "'No paths beyond the road. No paths. We must go to the crossroads. But make haste. Be silent.' As furtively as scouts within the encampment of their enemies, they crept down onto the road and stole along its westward edge under the stony bank, gray as the stones themselves and soft-footed as hunting cats. At length they reached the trees and found that they stood in a great roofless ring, open in the middle to the somber sky, and the spaces between their immense bowls were like great dark arches of some ruined hall. In the very center, four ways met. Behind them lay the road to Moranon. Before them it ran out again upon its long journey south. To the right, the road from old Asgilioth came climbing up, and crossing pass out eastward into darkness the fourth way the road they were on to take staying there for a moment filled with dread frodo became aware that a light was shining he saw it glowing on sam's face beside him turning towards it he saw beyond an arc of bows the road to Osgiliath running almost as straight as a stretch ribbon down down into the west there far away beyond sad gondor now overwhelmed in the shade the sun was sinking, finding the last hem of a great slow rolling pail of clouds and falling in an ominous fire towards the yet unsullied sea. The brief glow fell upon a huge sitting figure, still and solemn as the great stone kings of Arganoth. The years had gnawed it, and violent hands had maimed it. Its head was gone, and in its place was set in a mockery a round, rough-hewn stone rudely painted by savage hands in the likeness of a grinning face with one large red eye in the midst of its forehead. Upon its knees and a mighty chair and all about the pedestal were idle scrawls mixed with foul symbols that the maggot folk of Mordor used. Suddenly, caught by the level beams, Frodo saw the old king's head. It was lying rolled away by the roadside. "'Look, Sam!' he cried, startled in the speech. "'Look! The king has got a crown again!' The eyes were hollow, and the carven beard was broken, but the high stern forehead there was a coronal of silver and gold, a trailing plant with flowers like small white stars had bound itself across the brows as if in reverence for the fallen king and the crevices of the stony-hair yellow stonecrop gleamed. They cannot conquer forever, said Frodo, and suddenly the brief glimpse was gone, the sun dipped and vanished, and as if at the shuddering of a lamp, Black night fell. And that's the end of that chapter there. I thought that was really cool, because it could describe th- 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 that... Basically, all hope's not lost is the way I took it. That even though they took the the head off of the statue of that great king, that, that the crown was on it again. And so that's the kind of the, the vibe that I got there, is that even though things look really bad, not all hope is lost. And those were my big takeaways from that chapter here, chapter 18. Uh, what were your takeaways?
1: Yeah, no, that was, that was great, man. Uh, the only other thing I would say is just one little thing that kind of foreshadows a little bit we'll we'll get into in just a minute but uh sam is really suspicious because gollum has gone again uh for a big part of this chapter like just goes off so they assume he's hunting for animals but uh so just a side note there but no you killed it i'll let you take it away with the next one
0: sounds like a plan uh the next chapter chapter 19 the stairs of sireth ungol these, uh, this is actually a really important chapter, I think. This is going to have a lot of things that come into play that are full circle moments. So I'm going to start right here, right on page 352. It's like the, f- the very first page of the chapter. There's the middle paragraph here, and I, I thought it's just really, really important. It says, uh, Frodo and Sam were plodding along with heavy hearts, no, able- no longer able to care about their peril, Frodo's head was bowed, his burden dragged him down again. As soon as the great crossroads had been passed, the weight of it, almost forgotten in Ithilien, had begun to grow once more. Now, feeling the way become steep before his feet, he looked wearily up, and then he saw it, even as Gollum had said that he would. The city of the Ringwraiths. He cowered against the stony bank. A long tilted valley, a deep gulf of shadow, ran back far into the mountains. Upon the further side... Someway within the valley's arms, high on a rocky seat upon the black knees of the Epith Duath, stood the walls and tower of Minas Morgul. All was dark about it, earth and sky, but it was lit with light, not the imprisoned moonlight welling through the marble walls of Minas Ithil long ago, the tower of the moon, fair and radiant in the hollow of the hills, paler indeed than the moon, ailing in some slow eclipse of the light, now wavering and blowing like a noise exclamation of decay." a corpse light a light that illuminated nothing in the walls the tower uh, showed like countless black holes looking towards emptiness the topmost course of the tower revolved slowly first one way then another a huge ghostly head leered into the night and for a moment the three companions stood there shrinking staring up with unwilling eyes and Gollum was the first to recover again he pulled at their cloaks urgently but he spoke no word and he almost dragged them forward every step was reluctant and time seemed to slow its pace, so that between the raising of a foot and setting of it down minutes later, uh, loathing had passed. So this is like a feeling that they got just from seeing Minas Morgul. And like Minas Morgul, again, this is the city of the ring race, the one of the scariest creatures that walk Middle-earth, maybe outside Sauron himself, and probably close to one of the most powerful. Um, now, I'm going to go ahead and I, I also, this is another part too. This is almost like something out of a horror film. I wanted to read this next paragraph here on, on the same page, 353. It says, So they came slowly to the white bridge. Here the road gleaming faintly passed over the stream in the midst of the valley and went on, winding deviously up towards the city's gate, a black mouth opening in the outer circle of the northward walls. Wide flats lay on either bank, shadowy meads filled with pale white flowers. Luminous, these were too, beautiful and yet horrible of shape, like the demented forms in an uneasy dream, and they gave forth a faint, sickening, charnel smell. An odor of rottenness filled the air. From mead to mead, the bridge sprang. Figures stood there at its head, carven with cunning in forms of human and bestial, but all corrupt and loathsome. The water flowing beneath was silent and it but the vapors that rose from it, curling and twisting about the bridge, were deadly cold. Frodo felt his senses reeling and his mind darkening, and then suddenly, as if some force were at work other than his own will, he began to hurry, tottering forward, groping with both hands held out, his head lolling from side to side. Both Sam and Gom ran after him. Sam caught his master in his arms, and he stumbled, and almost fell right under the threshold of the bridge. So I just want to read that, because that ended up taking a toll on, on Frodo mentally, to the part where he almost wasn't himself. It's like his eyes were like rolling, lolling, head you know all shaking there. He was basically drawn to go directly to the tower there in Minas Morgul, which would have ruined the whole journey. They even took him to the ring right to the ring rates, and if Sam and Gollum weren't there to pull him back, that's it. That, that's curtains, folks. Uh, so I thought that was pretty crazy, and you know, that really did seem to me, the way that Tolkien described it in those two paragraphs, it really did seem like something out of a horror film. Very dark and very creepy, so that's one of the, the times where like the description, very very key, and Kind of put me directly in a in a dark place. I mean, I'm reading. I'm like, oh man, I don't want to be there. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, hundred
1: to... percent agree with that. It reminded me of something like the Van Helsing castle or something like that. It was badass.
0: Yeah, it it was creepy. So, uh, next thing I, I really noticed here, I'm gonna go into page 355 on my novel. Uh, there's there's a break in the page here, and I'm gonna go through this and there's a two pages that i really want to detail because this is going to be super important about what's what their surroundings are like in this moment taking the path uh to where they're they're going to be going so it starts here but it was too late at that moment the rock quivered and trembled beneath them the great rumbling noise louder than ever before rolled in the ground and echoed in the mountains then with searing suddenness there came a great red flash far beyond the eastern mountains It leapt into the sky and splashed the lowering clouds with crimson. In that valley of shadow and cold deathly light, it seemed unbearably violent and fierce. Peaks of stone and ridges like notched knives sprang out in staring black against the uprushing flame in Gorgoroth. Then came a great crack of thunder, and Minas Morgul answered, there was a flare of livid lightning, forks of blue flame springing up from the tower and from encircling hills into the sullen clouds. The earth groaned, out of the city there came a cry, mingled with harsh high voices as of birds of prey, and the shrill neighing of horses' wild rage and fear. There came a rending screech, shivering, rising swiftly to a piercing pitch beyond the range of hearing. Hobbits wheeled around and towards it and cast themselves down, holding their hands upon their ears." As a terrible cry ended, falling back through a long, sickening wail to silence, Frodo slowly raised his head. Across the narrow valley, now almost on a level with his eyes, the walls of the evil city stood, and its cavernous gate, shaped like an open mouth with gleaming teeth, was gaping wide. And out of the gate, an army came. All the host was clad in sable, dark as the night, Against the wane walls and the luminous pavement of the road Frodo could see them, small black figures in rank upon rank marching swiftly and silently, passing outwards in an endless stream, and before them went a great cavalry of horsemen moving like ordered shadows, and at their head was one greater than all the rest, a rider, all black, save that on his hooded head he had a helm like a crown that flickered with a perilous light. Now he was drawing near the bridge below, and Frodo's staring eyes followed him, unable to wink or to withdraw. Surely there was the Lord of the Nine Riders returned to earth to lead his ghastly host to battle. Here, yes, here indeed, was a haggard king whose cold hand had smitten down the ring-bearer with his deadly knife. The old wound throbbed with pain, and a great chill spread towards Frodo's heart. And even as these thoughts pierced him with dread, and held him bound as if with a spell, the rider halted suddenly right before the entrance of the bridge, and behind him all the host stood still. There was a pause, a dead silence. Maybe it was the ring that called to the Wraith Lord, and for a moment he was troubled, sensing some other power within his valley. This way and that turned the dark head, helmed and crowned with fear, sweeping the shadows with unseen eyes, Frodo waited, like a bird, at the approach of a snake unable to move. And as he waited, he felt more urgent than ever before the command that he should put on the ring. But great as the pressure was, he felt no inclination now to yield to it. He knew that the ring would only betray him, and that he had not, even if he put it on, the power to face the marble King. Not yet. There was no longer any answer to that command in his own will, dismayed by terror though it was, and he felt only the beating upon him of a great power from outside it took his hand and as Frodo watched with his mind not willing it but in suspense as if he looked on some old story far away it moved the hand inch by inch towards the chain upon his neck and then his own will stirred slowly it forced the hand back and set it to find another thing a thing lying hidden near his breast cold and hard it seemed as his grip closed on it the file of Galadriel "'so long treasured and almost forgotten till that hour. "'As he touched it, for a while, "'all thought of the ring was banished from his mind. "'He sighed and bent his head. "'At that moment, the Wraith King turned and spurred his horse "'and rode across the bridge, and all his dark hosts followed him. "'Maybe the Elvenids defied his unseen eyes, "'and the mind of his small enemy being strengthened "'had turned aside his thought, but he was in haste. "'Already the hour had struck, and at his great master's bidding, "'he must march with war into the west.' Soon he had passed like a shadow into shadow down the winding road, and behind him still the black ranks crossed the bridge. So great an army had never issued from that valley since the days of Asildur's might. No host so fell and strong in arms had yet assailed the fords of Anduin, and yet it was but one and not the greatest of the hosts that Mordor now sent forth. So, the reason why I wanted to read that there is again, really key description, but. The Lord of the Nine Riders has an army at his back going into the west. They are in trouble. The good guys are in trouble. And on top of that, another thing here too, and this is going to be a foreshadowed moment a little bit as well, this file of Galadriel. We totally forgot about it. And Frodo almost put this ring on and ruined everything, and gave up his position to the Lord of the Nine Riders. And as he's trying to do it, he found that file, and it gave him the strength to withhold it. And this file is going to come up uh, to play here pretty soon as well. So keep keep your uh, your mind set on you know Galadriel's file. So that, that's a pretty important key piece. Uh, the next big thing that I took away from this chapter is. I don't really know if this is a potential plot hole or not, but I definitely wanted to mention it. It's the second paragraph here on page 358. Because keep in mind, at this point in time, Frodo and Sam even told Faramir about Gandalf falling in Moria, like Gandalf dying. And there's just something that's mentioned here that kind of gives me concern. Is, is this a plot hole or is this him thinking this in totality? I don't know, and I'll ask Chase about it after I read this. But... Uh, it says Frodo raised his head and then stood up. Despair had not left him, but the weakness had passed. He even smiled grimly, feeling now as clearly as a moment before he had felt the opposite, that what he had to do, he had to do if he could. And that whether Faramir or Aragorn or Elrond or Galadriel or Gandalf or anyone else ever knew about it was beside the purpose. He took his staff in one hand and the file in the other, And when he saw that the clear light was ready welling through his fingers, he thrust it into his bosom and held it against his heart. Then turning from the city of Morgul, now more than a gray glimmer across the dark gulf, he prepared to take the upward road. So basically what he had said there is even if no one figures out what he's done, he still has to do it. But he even named Gandalf as someone else who would be able to know about it. If, But how could Gandalf ever know about it if Gandalf's dead? So I don't know if that's like a plot hole there, or if he was just kind of just naming anyone and even, I don't know. So I guess I kind of want to ask you,
1: Chase, what do you think about that? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, because Faramir didn't tell them, like Faramir doesn't even know that Gandalf is back, right? Correct, yeah. Like, and, and he didn't tell them anything. No, no,
0: I mean, Faramir doesn't know. All Faramir knows is what, like, even he guessed what happened to Boromir, because he saw the, that dream or dreamlike thing where the boat passed with Boromir's body in it, and he found the Horn of Gondor, but he had no idea what happened to the rest of the company. Frodo and Sam told Faramir that Gandalf died in in Moria, so he has no idea that Gandalf's alive either.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe he was just saying... (laughs) just saying words (laughs) maybe he was just like saying names of people that would have a chance but uh it could be a plot hole i mean yeah that's the only conclusion i can come to i'm right there with you man that's maybe he was just saying words
0: (laughs) yeah that's the only other explanation right because they don't know gandalf's around like so how the hell would gandalf know if he did it or didn't do it he's supposed to be dead so I don't know I thought that that was something at least worth notating see if maybe anyone else wants to take a crack at that question Uh, but yeah from there other big parts I have just said they climbed the straight stair and then what was called the winding stair and then on page 362 here in in my novel I'm just going to read the paragraph Uh, I thought this was pretty important it says uh, starts with Sam's perspective it says yes that's so said Sam and we shouldn't be here at all if we had known more about it before we started, I suppo- but I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo Adventures, as I used to call them, I used to think they were things of the wonderful folk that the stories went out and looked for, because they wanted them, because they were exciting, and life was a bit dull. A kind of sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it, with the tales that really mattered, or the ones that stay in the mind folks seem to have been just landed in them usually their paths were laid like as the way you put it but i expect they didn't have they did have lots of chances like us of turning back only they didn't and if they had we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten we hear about those that just went on, and not on all to a good end, mind you, at least not to what folk inside a story and not outside it call a good end. You know, coming home and finding things all right, though not quite the same, like like old Mr. Bilbo. But those aren't always the best tales to hear, though they may be the best tales to get landed in. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. And then from there, uh, to continue on, it says... "'I wonder,' said Frodo, "'but I don't know. "'And that's the way of a real tale. "'Take anyone that you're fond of. "'You may know or guess of what kind of tale it is, "'happy or sad, but the people in it, they don't know, "'and you don't want them to know.' "'No, of course, sir, of course not. "'Baron now, he never thought he was going to get that Silmaril "'from the Iron Crown and Thangorjim, but he did. "'And that was a worse place and a blacker danger than ours. "'But that's a long tale, of course.' "'and goes on past the happiness and into grief and beyond it. "'And the Silmaril went on and came to Irendel, "'And why, sir, I've never thought of that before. "'We've got, you've got some of the light of it "'in that star glass that the lady gave you. "'Why, to think of it, we're in the same tale still. "'It's going on. "'Don't the great tales never end?' "'No, they never end as tales,' said Frodo. "'But the people in them come and go when their parts ended.' "'and our part will end sooner or later.' "'And then we can have some rest and some sleep,' said Sam. "'He laughed grimly. "'And I mean just that, Mr. Frodo. "'I mean plain, ordinary rest and sleep "'and waking up to a morning's work in the garden. "'I'm afraid that's all I'm hoping for at the time. "'All the big, important plans are not for my sort. "'Still I wonder if we shall ever be put into songs or tales. "'We're in one, of course, but I mean put into words, you know, "'told by the fireside or read out of a great big book "'with red and black letters.' "'Years and years afterwards, and people will say, "'Let's hear about Frodo and the Ring. "'And they'll say, yes, that's one of my favorite stories. "'Frodo was very brave, wasn't he, Dad? "'Yes, my boy, the most famousest of the hobbits, "'and that's saying a lot.' "'It's saying a lot too much,' said Frodo, "'and he laughed, and a long, clear laugh from his heart, "'and such a sound he had not heard in those places "'since Sauron came to Middle-earth. "'To Sam, it suddenly seemed as if the stones were listening "'and the tall rocks leaning over them. "'But Frodo did not heed them. "'He laughed again.' "'Why, Sam, to hear you somehow makes me as merry as if the story was already written. "'But you left out one of the chief characters. "'Sam, why the stout-hearted? "'I want to hear more about Sam, Dad. "'Why didn't they put in more of his talk, Dad? "'That's what I like. It makes me laugh. "'And Frodo wouldn't have gotten far without Sam, would he, Dad?' "'Now, Mr. Frodo,' said Sam, "'you shouldn't make fun. "'I was being serious.' "'So was I,' said Frodo, "'and so I am. "'We're going on a bit too fast, you and I, Sam.' We're still stuck in the worst places of the story, and it is all too likely that some will say at this point, shut the book now, dad, we don't want to read anymore. Maybe, said Sam, but I wouldn't be the one to say that. Things done and over, made into the part of Great Tales are different. Why, even Gollum might be good in a tale, better than he is to have by you anyway, and he used to like tales himself once by his own account. I wonder if he thinks himself the hero or the villain." So that's one part I wanted to read there that passage and why I thought that was important to talk about is that number one cuz the, the new live series of the Lord of the Rings is coming out on Amazon here pretty soon and it talked about the old story of like the Silmaril like the, the that Baron stole the Silmaril from the Iron Crown and Thingorndrim and like this basically that story never really ended that, that's kind right. of what they were mentioning here. I thought that was pretty cool. And on top of that, you know, it, it, this is also a good thing of camaraderie where they kind of brought them together. Of you know, They're in this really dark, desolate place, and, and they're talking about the story. Sam's talking about the story as if it's already going to have a happy ending, and it kind of makes Frodo laugh and, and really lets Frodo appreciate the fact that Sam's here. And there's something that happens in the movie that doesn't happen in the novels, and I want to talk about that now. I'll talk about that next, oh, actually, probably in two weeks. But, um, <laughs> like, I just, I just, they they don't have a big rift like they do in the movie. I'll just say that for now. It, throughout this book, it's just been very much they lean on each other in the, in the dark times. And so I, that's why I thought that moment in there was just really important. And I don't know, it's kind of, it kind of made me feel good reading it. Uh, just you know, if you have, if you're in a really dark place, it always is beneficial to have some one of your close friends there by your side. So, thought that was pretty mm. cool. So uh, from there, Gollum comes back, wakes up the hobbits, and Frodo asks if they can find the rest of the way just himself and Sam, and tells Gollum that if they can, that Gollum's free to go, and maybe one day he'll be rewarded. But Gollum tells Frodo no that they can't find the way on their own just yet because there's a t- tunnel upcoming. And I think that then that's kind of a foreshadow, and that's kind of the last takeaway point I had from that chapter. But I think that's kind of interesting because maybe there was something being set and Gollum needed to be a part of it or something. And I'll just say that because uh, he seemed very adamant about not letting Frodo and Sam go alone at that point in time. He's like, no, you can't. Like, there's still this tunnel that we need to go through, and basically made it. Uh, an important point to stick with them during this period and so I wonder if there was like a, a reasoning behind that if there was like a method to the madness of, of Smeagol here and we'll talk about that in just a little bit here in the next chapter but before we do I just want to kind of turn it over to Chase to give his takeaways on it
1: no that was great uh, you had pretty much the same ones I did uh, one thing I want to kind of uh, give my perspective on like when you were talking about the rates and if Frodo would put on the ring like, imagine what that would have done. If Frodo would have put on the ring and the Wraiths with their army were there, this would be over. Like, it's just like Galadriel said, you know, this journey depends on the edge of a sword. If he had put on the ring, Sam and Frodo are great. Like, I love Sam and Frodo, but you're telling me two hobbits are going to take on an army of Ring wraiths? Good luck. <laughs> That's all I can say. Like what what is your thoughts on that? If Frodo would have put on the ring, do you think this would be over right there?
0: Yeah, that's what I said. I mean, like as soon as that happened, it would have been curtains. That, that that's the book folks. Like yeah, you, don't, you don't even need to read what happens after that. All he's got to do at that point is call his flying steed over, and he just jumps on that, takes it to Mordor and Sauron's got the ring and Middle-earth is covered in darkness till the end of time so uh yes definitely would have been would have been over
1: at that point for sure absolutely um and uh yeah no i think i think you nailed everything on that one i guess uh one side note before i send it right on back to you is gollum i do think yes he's a piece of shit but he is pretty funny (laughs) i like how he does call Because you can tell he's very biased towards one hobbit versus the other. And he always calls Sam the stinker hobbit. (laughs) Where is stinker hobbit? And it was just hysterical. And he's always telling Frodo, where's the one that smells? Even though, of course, like Gollum is the one that's eating raw food and jumping in rivers with dead animals and shit (laughs) so i mean i just find it funny um you know because i gotta stick up for my boy sam but i mean you know uh he is pretty funny i will say that (laughs) he is pretty funny and i'll send it on back
0: to you man sounds like a plan yeah the the next chapter we're going into is called shelob's lair and there's some real interesting stuff that happens here in this chapter. So to kick it off, just gonna read the the second paragraph here on page three sixty eight. It's uh it's kind of a foreshadow. It says, Ugh, that smell, he said. It's getting stronger and stronger. Presently they were under the shadow, and there in the midst they saw the opening of a cave. This is the way in, said Gollum softly. This is the entrance to the tunnel. He did not speak its name. Toric Ungle, Shelob's lair. Out of it came a stench—not the sickly odor of decay in the meads of Morgul, but a foul reek, as a filth unnameable were piled and hoarded in the dark within. So gives you an idea of what they're walking into. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> I that was a pretty cool part there to, to, to talk about. So next big takeaway I have is they obviously they enter that tunnel and they continue on for a good amount of time until they come to a fork and they look to Smeagol for guidance, but realize. Smeagol's nowhere to be found. So this, is, this might be a little full circle coming up. So to take it from page 371, I'm going to go ahead and read from this part here. This is from Sam speaking. It's, it's a trap, said Sam, and he laid his hand upon the hilt of his sword, and as he did so, he thought of the darkness of the barrow whence it came. I wish old Tom was near us now, he thought, then as he stood darkness about him and a blackness of despair and anger in his heart it seemed to him they saw a light a light in his mind almost unbearably bright first as a sunray ray that his eyes with one long hidden in a windowless pit then the light became color green gold silver and far off as in a little picture drawn by elven fingers he saw the lady galadriel standing on the grass of Lorien, and gifts were in her hands and you ring bear he heard her say remote but clear for you i have prepared this and the bubbling hiss drew near, and there was a creaking as some great jointed thing that moved with slow purpose in the dark. A reek came before it. Master, master, cried Sam, and the life and urgency came back into his voice. The lady's gift, the starglass. A light to you in dark places, it was said to be. The starglass. The starglass, muttered Frodo, as one answering out of a sleep, hardly comprehending. Why, yes, I, I had forgotten it. A light when all other lights go out, and now, indeed, light alone can help us. And slowly his hand went to his bosom and slowly held aloft the file of Galadriel. And for a moment it glimmered, faint as a rising star struggling in heavy earthward mists. And then as its power waxed and hope grew in Frodo's mind it began to burn and kindled to a silver flame, a minute heart of dazzling light as though Irendel had himself come down from the high sunset paths with the last Silmaril upon his brow. The darkness receded from it, until it seemed to shine in the center of a globe of an airy crystal, and the hand that held it sparkled with white fire. Froh gazed in wonder at this marvelous gift that he had so long carried, not guessing its full worth and potency, and seldom had he remembered it on the road until they came to the Morgul Vale, and never had he used it for fear of revealing its light. Ay, Irundel, Elenil, and Kalima, he cried, and he knew not what he spoke, for it seemed another voice spoke through his clear untroubled "'by the foul air of the pit. but other potencies there are in Middle-earth, "'powers of the night, and they are old and strong. "'And she that walked in the darkness "'had not heard the elves cry, "'that cry far back in the depths of time. "'And she had not heeded it, and it did not daunt her now. "'Even as Frodo spoke, he felt a great malice bent upon him, "'a deadly regard considering him.' not far down the tunnel between them and the opening where they had reeled and stumbled he was aware of the eyes growing visible two great clusters of many windowed eyes the coming menace with was unmasked at last the radiance of the star glass was broken and thrown back from their thousand facets but between behind the glitter a pale deadly fire began steadily to glow within a flame kindled in some deep pit of evil thought monstrous and abominable eyes they were bestial and yet filled with purpose and with hideous delight gloating over their prey trapped beyond all hope of escape. And Frodo and Sam, horror-stricken, began to slowly back away, their own gaze held by the dreadful stare of those baleful eyes. But as they backed away, so the eyes advanced. Frodo's hand wavered, and slowly the file drooped, and suddenly released from the holding spell to run a little, while in vain panic for the amusement of the eyes, they both turned and fled. But even as they ran, Frodo looked back and saw with terror at once the eyes came leaping up behind, the stench of death was like a cloud around him. Stan, stand, Stan!' he cried desperately, "'running is no use,' and slowly the eyes crept near. "'Galadriel,' he called, and gathering his courage, "'he lifted the file once more. "'The eyes halted for a moment, in regard they relaxed, "'as if some hint of doubt troubled them. "'Then Frodo's heart flamed within, "'and without thinking what he did, "'whether it was folly or despair or courage, "'he took the file in his left hand, "'and with his right hand he drew his sword.' Sting flashed out, and the sharp elven blade sparkled in the silver light, but at its edges a blue fire flicked. Then holding the star aloft, the bright sword advanced. Frodo the Hobbit of the Shire walked steadily down to meet the eyes. They wavered. Doubt came into them as the light approached. One by one they dimmed, and slowly they drew back. No brightness so deadly had ever affected them before. From sun and moon and star they had been safe underground but now a star descended into the very earth still approached the eyes began to quail one by one they all went dark they turned away and a great bulk beyond the light's reach heaved its huge shadow in between they were gone master master cried sam he was close behind his own sword drawn and ready stars and glory but the elves would make a song of that if they ever heard it and may i live to hear them tell it and hear them sing but don't go on master don't go into that den now is our only chance let's get out of this foul hole As so back they once turned, first walking and then running, as they went, the floor of the tunnel rose steeply, and with every stride they climbed higher and above the stenches and the unseen lair. The strength returned to limb and heart, but still the hatred of the Watcher lurked behind them, blind for a while, but undefeated, still bent on death. And now there came a flow of air to meet them, cold and thin, opening the tunnel's end. At last it was before them, and panting, yearning for a roofless place. They flung themselves forward, and then in amazement they staggered, tumbling back. The outlet was blocked by some barrier, not of sown, soft and yielding it seemed, yet strong and impervious. Air filtered fl- through, but not a glimmer of any light. Once more they charged, and once more they were hurled back. Holding the file aloft, Frodo looked, and before him he saw a grayness in which radiance of the star glass did not pierce, and it did not illuminate, as if it were a shadow that being cast by no light, no light could dissipate. Across the width and the height of the tunnel, a vast web was spun, orderly as some, as the web of some huge spider, but denser woven and far greater, with each thread as thick as rope. So this is the th- what's kind of stopping them from being able to escape. Now they were able to get away from Shiloh at first because that file, like blinded her. So the gift of Galadriel really, really kind of was it paid its way in, in its worth there at that point in time. But now they're about to get out. Unfortunately, the exit is blocked by these cobwebs, these spider webs, and it even said, like, these, these webs were as thick as rope. That's crazy. So, definitely wanted to mention that there. Uh, so, they start trying to cut at the rope. Well, not the rope, the, the webs that were as thick as rope. They start cutting at the webs, and Sam's sword, it didn't fare well against webs at all. It kept turning his sword away, but Frodo's sword, Sting, which is an elven forged blade, was able to cut through them. And so, I'm going to read this little part here. This is from Shelob's perspective, I guess. This is a little bit about her backstory. It says, There, age-long she had dwelt, an evil thing in spider form, even such as once of old had lived in the land of the elves in the west that is now under the sea. Such as Baron fought in the mountains of Terra and Doriath, and so came to Luthien upon the green sward amid the hemlocks in the moonlight long ago. How Shelob came there, flying from ruin, no tale tells, for out of the dark years few tales have come, but still, she was there, who was there before Sauron, and before the first stone of Barad-dûr, and she served none but herself, drinking the blood of elves and men, bloated and grown fat, with endless brooding on her feasts, weaving webs of shadow, for all living things were her food, and her vomit darkness. Far and wide, her lesser broods, bastards of the miserable mates, her own offspring that she slew, spread from glen to glen, from the Effenduath to the eastern hills, to Dol Guldur and the fastness of Mirkwood, but none could rival her. Shelob the Great, the last child of Ungoliant to trouble the unhappy world. That's a little bit about Shelob's backstory. So basically, she's the queen of the spiders. That's how I kind of took that to mean there. It said that all her offspring scattered throughout the world, but none were as great as her. She, she's the, uh, the last of the child of the ungoliant to trouble the unhappy world, is the last sentence there. So she is malice and power and darkness engulfed in a spider form. and She takes it out and eats uh, elves and men to uh, her delight. So, just wanted to kind (laughs) of really detail a little bit about Shelob. Uh, We learn that Smeagol and Shelob have a kind of understanding between them. Gollum brings her food in the form of unsuspecting living beings and Shelob allows Gollum to come and go as he pleases without fear of being eaten himself. So, that's kind of the little deal that they go. They could say almost he worships her or whatever uh, so that way he could kind of pass without having to worry about anything and so he... Tricks people into coming into her area where she can she can feast to her delight, right? Um, to kind of go from there, I'm going to read this last paragraph here on page 376. It says, "We'll see, we'll see," he said often to himself. when the evil mood was on him as he walked the dangerous road from mule to Morgo Vale, we'll see. it may well be, oh yes. "'It may well be that when she throws away the bones "'and the empty garments, we shall find it. "'We shall get it, the precious, "'a reward for poor Smeagol who brings nice food. "'And we'll save the precious as we promised. "'Oh yes, and when we've got it safe, "'then she'll know it. "'Oh yes, we'll pay her back, my precious, "'then we'll pay everyone back.' "'And so we thought in an inner chamber of his cunning, "'which he still hoped to hide from her, "'even when he had come to her again "'and had bowed low before her while his companions slept. And as for Sauron, he knew where she lurked. It pleased him that she should dwell there hungry but unabated in malice, a more sure watch upon that ancient path into his land than any other that his skill could have devised. And orcs, they were useful slaves, but he had them in plenty. If now and again Shelob caught them to stay her appetite, she was welcome, he could spare them. And sometimes, as a man may cast a dainty to his cat, his cat, he calls her, but she owns him not. Sauron would send her prisoners that he had no better uses for. He would drive them. He, she would, he would have them driven to her hole, and report brought back to him of the place she made. And so they both lived, delighted in their own devices, and feared no assault, nor wrath, nor any kind of end to their wickedness. Never yet had any fly escaped from Shelob's webs, and the greater now. Was her rage and hunger. So that's kind of cool to talk about there for a second as well, is the fact that Sauron knows about Shelob and uses her as a basically uh, another guard, like a bodyguard to his lands. The the she's the last real thing that could stop anyone from getting into Mordor through the secret passage. Uh, but she doesn't. He doesn't own her, and she is of her own volition. She doesn't do things on his orders. She lives her own life, but they are both evil in nature, like, separate. But he uses her, and she gets benefits from it from the food that he will have brought. So that way she kind of stays doing what she's doing. So uh, I thought that was kind of cool that the two evils, they know of each other. They kind of stay in their own lane, but they have a level of understanding as well. So definitely thought that was worth talking about. Uh, Next thing that I have. Uh, is this is just going? I'm going to take it from the top of page 378 in my book to the end of the chapter here, because this is where the big action, part of the big action, I should say. Hardly had Sam hidden in the light of the star glass when she came. A little way ahead and to his left, he saw suddenly issuing from a black hole of shadow under the cliff the most loathly shape he had ever beheld, horrible beyond the horror of an evil dream most like a spider she was but huger than the great hunting beasts and more terrible than they because of the evil purpose in her remorseless eyes those same eyes that he had thought daunted and defeated they were lit with a fell light again clustering in her outthrust head great horns she had and behind her Short, stalk-like neck was her huge, swollen body, a vast, bloated bag swaying and sagging between her legs. Its great bulk was black, blotched with livid marks, but the belly underneath was pale and luminous and gave forth a stench. Her legs were bent with great knobbed joints high above her back, and her hair was stuck out like steel spines, and at each leg's end there was a claw. As soon as she had squeezed her soft, squelching body and its folded limbs out of the upper exit from her lair, she moved with a horrible speed now running on her creaking legs now making a sudden bound she was between sam and his master either she did not see sam or she avoided him for the moment as the bear of the light and fixed all her intent upon one prey upon frodo bereft of his file running heedlessly up the path unaware yet of his peril swiftly he ran but Sheila was swifter in a few leaps she would have him Sam gasped and gathered all his remaining strength to shout. "'Look behind!' he yelled. "'Look out, master! I'm—' But suddenly his cry was stifled. A long, clammy hand went over his mouth, and another caught him by the neck while something wrapped itself around its leg. Taken off guard, he toppled backwards into the arms of his attacker. "'Got him!' hissed Gollum in his ear. "'At last, my precious, we've got him. Yes, the nasty hobbit. We takes this one. She'll get the other.' Oh yes, Sheila will get him, not Smeagol. He promised he won't hurt Master at all. But he's got you, you nasty, filthy little sneak, he spat on Sam's neck. Fury at the treachery and desperation at the delay when his Master was in deadly peril gave Sam a sudden violence and strength that was far beyond anything that Gollum had expected from the slow, stupid Hobbit as he thought him. Not Gollum himself could have twisted more quickly or more fiercely. His hold on Sam's mouth slipped, and Sam ducked and lunged forward again, trying to tear away from the grip on his neck. His sword was still in his hand, and on his left arm, hanging by its thong, was Faramir's staff. Desperately, he tried to turn and stab his enemy, but Gollum was too quick. His long right arm shot out, and he grabbed Sam's wrist. The fingers were like a vice. Slowly and relentlessly, he bent the hand down and forward till a cry of pain sam released the sword and it fell to the ground and all the while Gollum's other hand was tightening on sam's throat then sam sam played his last trick with all his strength he pulled away and guy's feet firmly planted then suddenly drove his legs against the ground and his whole force hurled himself backwards not expecting even this simple trick from sam Gollum fell over with sam on top and he received the weight of the sturdy hobbit on his stomach A sharp hiss came out of him, and for a second, his hand upon Sam's throat loosened, but his fingers still gripped the sword hand. Sam tore himself forward and away and stood up, and then quickly he wheeled away to his right, pivoted on the wrist held by Gom. Laying hold of the staff in his left hand, Sam swung it up, and down it came with a whistling crack on Gom's outstretched arms just below the elbow. With a squeal, Gollum let go. Then Sam waited in. Not waiting to change the staff from left to right, he dealt another savage blow. Quick as a snake, Gollum slithered aside, and the stroke aimed at his head fell across his back. The staff cracked and broke, and that was enough for him. Grabbing from behind was an old game of his, and seldom had he failed in it. But his time, misled by spite, he had made the mistake of speaking and gloating before he had both hands on his victim's neck everything had gone wrong with his beautiful plan since that horrible light had so unexpectedly appeared in the darkness and now he was face to face with a furious enemy little less than his own size this fight was not for him sam swept up the sword from the ground and raised it Gom squealed springing aside on all fours he jumped away in one big bound like a frog before sam could reach him he was off running with amazing speed backwards towards the tunnel In sword in hand, Sam went after him. For the moment, he had forgotten everything else but the red fury in his brain and the desire to kill Gollum. But before he could overtake him, Gollum was gone. And then, as the dark hole stood before him, and the stench came out to meet him, like a clap of thunder, he thought of Frodo and the monster smote upon Sam's mind. He spun around, rushed wildly up the path, calling and calling his master's name. He was too late. So far, Gollum's plot had succeeded. And that is the end of the chapter, Shilob's Lair. And so the uh, the real climactic action part of this was we got a little showdown between Sam and Gollum that was really built up along the way. Sam never really trusted Smeagol. Smeagol always disliked the way Sam uh, disregarded him as a as a creature and never really treated him with any sort of respect or dignity either. And the animosity finally built up, and so... Smeagol, like he said, he kept his promise. He himself wasn't going to hurt his master, but he made no promises about Sam, and he <laughs> went to uh, went to take out Sam. And Sam was able to uh, survive and get Gollum to, you know, run away in a, you know, pretty much. Uh, but this whole time, Shelob's had her way to get to Frodo, and we're going to see, you know, if this is going to be if he's going to be just too little, too late at this point in time, going into the next chapter. But before we do go into the next chapter, I'll turn it over to Chase to give his takeaways on what we just uh, went over.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, Gollum's a little piece of shit. Nasty. (laughs) You little sneak. Malice in the chalice, by the way, man. Malice in the chalice. So I got two questions for you, and these are the rules. I can talk about any topic I want. But I'll keep it on Lord of the Rings here. But... Two questions, and we've talked about this before when we did Harry Potter. Who do you think would win, Shelob or Aragog? And, speaking of the fellowship that's now broken, if you could pick your own fellowship, and it was kind of like a draft, so no one had to say whether or not they could go, based on characters just in this book, who would you choose? Would you have replaced anyone based on the decisions we've seen that the fellowship has gone through and now it's broken that hopefully it wouldn't break and maybe they could have stayed closer together and made different decisions and everything would have been smooth sailing to destroy the ring
0: so the f- first question was who I thought would win in a one on one spider fight between Aragog and Shelob and that's tough because I don't really know too much about what Aragog's capable of I, I we, we saw quickly, especially when it came to like the Chamber of Secrets uh, he has a whole family with him so if it's a one-on-one it's different, but like, if you got the whole family there, that's going to be tough to overcome for Shelob. but if it's just a one-on-one battle here, I probably do take Shilo because she's just really evil and it seems that she kills without any sort of uh, Discrimination. You know, it's said that she kills elves and kills men and eats them. And I'll say, elves are generally pretty strong individuals. Most of them are very hard to Mm -hmm. kill. So if this spider is able to kill and eat elves, uh i and aragog couldn't even really kill children um like
1: <laughs> well played i <laughs> couldn't I stop a car <laughs> right
0: couldn't stop a car like i i like to give the advantage towards shelob you know it does it takes a lot to kill elves and she's able to do it multiple times and feast upon their flesh that's got to be somewhat pretty impressive uh aragog he's just a giant spider and you know I don't know terribly too much about it, and plus, he seems to be almost domesticated in a way. He, he likes Hagrid. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know. So I don't know. I like she loves chances in a one on one, but like you know, if she's going to the Forbidden Forest and you've got the whole host of family with him, that's that's a different story. So that's my answer to that one. Before I answer your second part about like you know the draft style fellowship from this novel, uh, what do you think about the one on one versus she Lub and Aragog?
1: Yeah, uh, I have to agree with you 100%, and I think it's because, just like we talked about how we saw in Chamber of Secrets, in Chamber of Secrets, you know, you're right, like he had like, kind of like that spider army (laughs) with him as uh, Ron and Harry escaped, but at the same time, you know, he's part of the reason, you know, all that stuff with Hagrid conspired where Hagrid got his wand snapped and all that kind of stuff <laughs> so um I would think he's not as malicious as Shelob uh so I I have to agree with you I think in a one-on-one fight I would choose Shelob whereas you know if this is kind of like the hunting predator prey mentality, like I think Aragog, if he was hunting down Shelob, he could do it because he'd take his whole like family with him. But then you got to ask yourself a question like maybe Shelob has stuff like that going on. It says she has a big ass belly, <laughs> you know, maybe like all the spiders come out of that. Um, and it uh, we'll get into this next chapter, so I won't give anything away. But it makes me wonder: Does like Shelob ever have like a backstory or anything else that was like kind of hinted to in the next chapter, based on one little sentence we hear of like another story that comes after that that J.R. Tolkien ever talked about? I've never heard of anything like that. So maybe you know more than me on on that. Any idea?
0: No, this the uh, only thing I read about that backstory was just in the chapter we just went over. Um Talking about how she's been there before Sauron, before the tower, like you said, before one brick of barad is laid, which is the tower of, of Sauron. So she's been there forever. Uh, but I don't really know too much about her backstory and you know how she came to be, where and who she is today. And even said, you know, I th- I'm pretty sure. Let me <laughs> see if I can find that exact uh, that point in time because that's it's really important there when we talk about it. I, it this is. Right here, I'll read it one more time. It says, There age long she had dwelt, an evil thing in spider form, even as once of old had lived in the land of the elves in the west, what is now under the sea. Such as Baron fought in the mountains of terror in Doriath, and so came to Luthian upon the green sward amid the hemlocks in the moonlight long ago. How Shelab came there, flying from ruin, no tale tells. For out of the dark years, few tales have come. But still, she was there who was there before Sauron and before the first stone of Baradur. And she served none but herself, drinking the blood of elves and men, bloated and grown fat, with endless brooding on her feast, weaving webs of shadow. For all living things were her food, and her vomit was darkness. Far and wide, her lesser broods, bastards of the miserable mates, her own offspring, that she slew, spread from glen to glen, from the Effenduath to the eastern hills, from Dolgadur in the fastest of Mirkwood, but none could rival her. She loved the giant, the last child of the Ungoliant to trouble the unhappy world. So it says, it says right there that she doesn't know like they, there's no telltales how she got to be there or whatever so I don't really think there's much of a backstory outside of that I think that is the backstory
1: yeah yeah no that makes sense that's one thing I wish I mean maybe just on a sad note here not getting too off course but I wish J.R. Tolkien I mean I know he wrote like the Silmarillion so maybe like he had like all these ideas before he died to like try to get these things done but for instance like uh, J.K. Rowling or, you know, even going into Christopher Polini and, and that sort of thing. Some of these other are authors that um, in their fantasy fiction writing, like for instance J.K. Rowling and the Basilisk, you kind of know, you at least were given little hints on how it came to be. Like in the Chamber of Secrets, it talked about how the rumor was that salazar slytherin or the Basilisk has been there since like the founding of hogwarts and was put there to purge the school of non-purebloods in and, and that sort of thing i kind of wish like he gave us a little bit more than like two sentences by beer basically opening up a whole can of uh worms here by saying she's been there since the beginning of time but no one's fucking ever heard of her until this one little chapter here where she shows up like you never hear Elrond or Tom Bombadil right you know that's a very interesting question here is Tom Bombadil like what would he had done to save him like that's mentioned you just mentioned there in that one little sentence so it's on a side note In my opinion, I think that's one thing... Like, he did really well, and some things were a little slow, but uh, overall, I think he did a really well job writing these books. But I think that's one thing, in my opinion, could have been better, is (laughs) maybe at least make the character a little bit more well-known if you're going to open up a can of worms and say it's been there since the beginning of time. That's like saying, uh, you know, Glorfindel comes into play... But no one's ever heard of him before. <laughs> like at that point, kind of. I don't know. What's your opinion on that? Do you think there is just? Do you think Shelob should have been a little bit more well known with the characters, as far as being mentioned uh, more often in the book?
0: No, and like keep in mind, it wasn't. He wasn't there for like since the beginning of time. It just said she was there before Sauron and like Barad-dur, which is the Tower of Mordor. Oh, okay. So it's not the beginning of time per se. Uh, just have been there for a long time and you know Sauron's been there for, for at least an age. So she yeah, and it even says their age long she had dwelt, so maybe she's just been there for one age of you know middle Earth. So uh, I don't think the beginning of time uh, is is an accurate statement. but on the, on the flip side of that too, like I'm not terribly concerned with not getting a ton of detail on Sheila because I think she's meant to be like a secret weapon in a way no one knows about her and the ones that do know about her don't live to tell the tale and that kind of leads to her mystique and her prowess i think that's actually a a plus that we don't know too much about her it, it's just it, it's a creature that it, it basically has an undefeated record of people who enter her lair she kills them that's it and on top of it it's a Un, like a designed protection into the land of Mordor that they didn't plan on either Sauron or her. That's just where she lives, and there just happens to be a path that could lead through there. And you know, she takes out orcs at her leisure. He gives her you know slaves or whatever, or you know prisoners, and she devours them. And there's a reason why most people probably don't know about her, because anyone that would know didn't make it <laughs> so Maybe. i just i think that's kind of cool for me it, it's an air of mystery you know not every single character needs to have the biggest backstory and she only plays the small role here yes the the consequence of it is huge of, of this what's about to happen here in the first couple pages of this next chapter like the consequences of the fallout of their encounter with she love is huge but uh, overall, I think her character is of relative unimportance to the story as a whole. So, for that reason, I'm not w- very disappointed that I, that we don't get more of a description from her or you know about her backstory. That that's how I feel about it.
1: Makes sense. Um, and then the other uh, bes- right before we get to part two of that. Um, Tom Bombadil, where it was mentioned, do you think he could have saved him from this situation? I think
0: I have the sneaky feeling that Tom Bombadil's power really just kind of resides in his forest, in the old forest. So I, I it was cool that Sam had that thought, oh, hey, you know, I wish old Tom were here to help us out now. And, you know, <laughs> that was cool. Tom bails her ass out of every fucking situation, man. <laughs> right? So... Uh, I don't know if Tom could have saved them just because we don't really know if he has power outside of his forest or not we had even the Council of Elrond back in the Fellowship of the Ring it kind of I would say gave us an, and I don't want to say the interpretation but it gave us evidence that Tom's most powerful in his own forest and who knows what that would look like outside of his forest so uh and keep in mind they're down by the border of mordor right now the old forest <laughs> is up by the shire in the north that's just they're just too far away for him to be able to do anything you know at this point in time so i i like that tom was brought up again keeps him in in our minds you know because the movie we don't get any tom at all so that's cool uh but i just don't think Tom could have done much here in this in this situation, just simply because we don't know if he does have power outside his own forest. He's he's been there since the beginning of time. That that's someone who's been <laughs> in Middle Earth since you know, before everyone. But I don't know. I just it really really depend on if he had power outside of his forest or not. That would that would be like the real. If we if he did have power outside of the forest, like he could be himself anywhere in Middle Earth. Then sure, yeah, he most likely could have helped out, but. I don't know if he would have helped out in a way of a warrior like attacking Shelob or going one on one with it or just helping them escape and bringing them to safety. I don't know how that would have gone because we never really see Tom Bombadil in that environment, in a fighting environment. Um, but so I think that that's a big caveat is does he have power outside of his forest? If so, I think he could help them escape the area. Who knows what it would be like in a in a combat situation, but that's just, that's just the way I think about it. What about you?
1: Uh, absolutely agree because I, I think the issue is we just don't know enough <laughs> about Tom Bombadil. I mean, yeah, he saved them from the, aren't they called burrow whites? Is that how I say them? The whites that, uh, uh, he saved them at the beginning of, um, fellowship. But I, I mean, unless he could use like Shelob's webs, to like kind of tangle her and strangle her or something like if he uses magic webs or something but no i think you're right i think that's the biggest question is we don't have factual information of if he has powers outside his little realm there with who is the girl he was with down there his little wife not wife but been there since the beginning of time possibly what was her name
0: yeah i always thought that she was a, a play on mother nature or uh she came from the the wood itself and almost maybe he created her in a way i don't know i, I can't remember the name of her though uh i i will take i'll a, try to look it up yeah let say like I, I can take a quick look at it just to see uh, but I, I guess, what would I call it? Tom Bombadil's wife.
1: <laughs> but, uh, Goldberry. Yes. That was
0: her name. Goldberry. Goldberry. Yeah. Correct. But uh, um. yeah, what's actually cool about this, since we're on a mouse in the chalice right now, and I don't have to go terribly too far off topic since we're right here, Goldberry actually appears in, the first time she appears is in print form in a 1934 poem, which is called The Adventures of Tom Bombadil. So she's known as the River Woman's daughter, and she appears as the wife of Tom Bombadil. So uh, that might be something worth finding. That 1934 poem, "The Adventures of Tom Bombadil." Maybe we'll get a better idea of who he is. That's that's a work that J.R. Tolkien wrote. Maybe we'll do a little uh, side thing on that on one of our social pages. That's a pretty cool thing to to take a look into.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, that's good stuff. We'll have to have to look into that. That's good stuff. Um, okay, part two of that question. Uh, before we throw this bad boy to the shadow realm so we don't get too off topic Uh, based on we've seen how this hasn't exactly gone according to plan for everybody if you could choose your fellowship and this was out of the characters in this book so as much as I would love to take Daenerys Targaryen with Drogon and have her burn down the entire army of orcs that's not realistic (laughs) you can't do that but out of the characters in this book and they didn't have a choice. So this is like the draft. <laughs> like you're going into World War Two, man. World War Three, right? You know, this is the end of the world. So people are getting drafted here. No burning draft cards. You can choose any character out of this book, except for we'll leave Tom Bombadil and Goldberry out, because we just talked about them. So leave them out. They're not your get-out-of-jail-free cards. You can choose whatever fellowship you want. And is it nine people in the fellowship or something like that? Yeah, How many people are in the fellowship? It's nine. Nine. Okay, good. I Thank the Lord I had that right after we just spent, you know, we're already a month and a half, two months basically into this. (laughs) Um, Okay, so choose whoever you want, and how would you deviate from the original plan that the Fellowship had, and if you are going to deviate from it, what's your plan that's different now to how to get the ring to Mordor, and who are you going to choose? Can I take it from
0: both like all the novels or just the two towers like can i also use it like characters that are found in fellowship of the ring are we just doing the two towers
1: oh no you can choose any character in the lord of the rings series so i prefer you not to do the hobbit or anything but anyone from like lord of the rings
0: okay so we've got nine um obviously we're we're gonna assume that frodo has to be there right he we have to assume that he's the ring bearer because i don't believe anyone else is gonna be able to hold the ring. So if we take that slot and already set it to the side and Yeah, we'll
1: we'll do that. That's a good idea. So Frodo can't be changed, but anyone else kinda in that group.
0: Cool. So then I would probably uh Gandalf would be my number one draft selection, for sure. Um and they would be forced to 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 take part in it. Man, um if they're forced to take part in it, I would probably also take Elrond. He was a very strong warrior in the first great war. And he's got a lot of knowledge that could be super useful. He just kind of stayed out of it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Maybe he didn't really think that there was much hope in it himself or he had to guide his own people and was worried about his own people. But if he had no choice and I got to pick whoever I wanted from the series, uh, Gandalf would be number one. Elrond would probably be number two. Aragorn, number three. Um, I'll take Legolas. I still liked him with his. He's got uh, some cool accuracy with that bow. He's done a few really amazing things. Thing is, is that I don't know if I would need another elf if we've got Elrond. That's the only. Yeah. That's the only part where I'm like, mm, is it even worth it? So, we'll 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 leave him here now in case, in just in case there's anyone else. I'm just like, ooh, really really need to have them in there maybe I'll swap out Legolas but as of right now Legolas is my fourth guy Um, I probably still would take Gimli just because he can work with stone it's just some skills that Dwarves had I I would like to have a variety of species or creatures or races I guess is probably the best way to put it I would like to have a variety of races just in case we came across anything that maybe one race is better at than another so Mm -hmm. that would be my fifth one I will say I probably would leave Mary and Pippin out. I don't really know what much help they had done. <laughs> I mean,
1: besides getting stolen. Well, well, the they have the what's those things? The Ents. Yeah, yeah they, the, they, they,
0: had. they had like the a relationship with the Ents, but if we we might not even have to have that situation happen in the same way if we have a different outcome of the way the the fellowship could have gone. Um, just because who knows if I, they would have to go into Isengard and they'd have to go into Fangorn Forest and all that, so I probably would take Merry and Pippin out just simply because they don't seem to do much good. I mean, they had that one shining moment where they can—they didn't really convince the Ents. They just had they ended up being in the right place at the right time, and Treebeard decided to hold a council, and the, the Ents decided amongst themselves. It's not like they really, you know, made them <laughs> do it. Uh, the, the the movie makes it seem like that a lot more than the book does but they didn't really do too much and then on top of that Pippin almost ruins everything by looking into that that, um Palantir that crystal ball that seeing stone so (laughs) I just I I see them as causing more problems than good because in Moria the orcs wouldn't even know they're there if Pippin didn't drop the darn thing (laughs) down the hole so let's go ahead and leave Merry Pippin out so let's repeat where we're at right now we've got Gandalf, Elrond, Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli those are my five um I would actually swap out Faramir for Boromir. Boromir is my favorite character, period. I love Boromir. He's great. But I think his strength and what he could have been the best at is doing what Faramir has been doing and leading armies against the ones that are going to Mordor and little small raids there and defending the city. That is his bread and butter. He's a great warrior. He was considered one of the mightiest men in Gondor. Some people consider him the greatest man in Gondor. And I think he... He obviously showed he's more about action than than thought. He would do, you know, the act first, think later. And it ended up kind of coming to his own demise when he tried to take the ring from Frodo. We saw what Faramir was able to do. He was able to to rationalize it, think through it, realize that there's some things that aren't worth it. And I, I definitely think that their roles would have been perfect if they had swapped them. Like Faramir bent on... And then... You know, with with Faramir being on the fellowship versus Boromir, I really do think that things would have been different. I really think that um, Boromir would like Faramir would not have tried to take the ring. Maybe it could have attempted to corrupt him at some point in time. I don't know, but he seemed to have just a, an air of indifference about the ring. He didn't want to see it. He didn't want to talk about it. He he just was. When he learned what it was, he was just like, oh, so I was right. Like I, my, In my guessing, I was close to the mark that you guys have something of power, but I think that Boromir would have been much better served just defending Gondor and leading army raids out and fighting the enemy in a uh, battle-type situation. That was his bread and butter. So I would switch them out, take out Boromir, add Faramir. And then... So that puts me at 6... And then frodo would be seven uh sam obviously sam and frodo need to stick together they have this bond uh, that they don't go one without and obviously we see the story that what's about to happen now and i won't get into it and talk about the chapter that will last we'll finish off here the last chapter of the two towers sam has a big purpose and he's there through Fro, with Frodo through everything so i'm going to keep sam in there and i've got one more spot that i can add one more person let's go ahead and um whew. see i don't want to no i don't think that would be a good idea um
1: yeah you got one slot re- left right so i yeah, got i got, I got, I got one slot left yeah it's just i just
0: don't know who I would put like, there's a couple people that would come to mind, but they wouldn't, fare, they they wouldn't add anything to it. Like I, I was thinking Galadriel, but then I think that could be an issue with her ring of power becoming into like a, uh, you know, it could it could become a conflict. So I, I I'm gonna go ahead and stay away from using her. Um, mm, and that's this is like this last slot's tough because then I was also thinking about potentially eodrid you know the young warrior from rohan but then you already got two men aragorn and faramir who are good in battle as men so what would be the point of adding a third one you know man this is this is a tough one that's tough right yeah it that's is tough it is tough then
1: you even got to think about the relationship with frodo like are they even going to connect with him like that i mean then you got to bring up the debate, well, is Gandalf still going to fall like he did at the bridge of khazad and all that stuff? So. Yeah. Yeah,
0: that's uh this the last one's a tough one. But I would probably go ahead and say hmm. I I kind of want that other elf that ha- that was to helping them get to rivendell running away from the black riders in the fellowship of the ring i can't remember his name off the top of are you my talking head. about Glorfindel. i think so yeah
1: i was thinking about him too yeah
0: because yeah, he can he's one of like the high elves that can go in between both um, realms i guess a spiritual and physical realm so i think that would probably be who i would take as well so I do think Elrond I would take for his wisdom and and obviously his prowess in battle. He just knows a lot of things. So let's go ahead and take it from the top. Uh, On this quest, I'm taking Gandalf. I'm taking Elrond. I'm taking Aragorn. I'm taking Legolas, Gimli, Faramir, Frodo, Sam, Glorfindel, and yeah, that's it. It's nine.
1: But and uh, that's that's awesome. Now, would you do anything different than the original route they had planned to take to Mordor? Oh, so it
0: depends on the combined magic of of what Glorfindel and Elrond and Gandalf can do, because obviously Legolas seems to be not not any type of elf that has access to to magic or supernatural it doesn't seem like he just seems to be like an expert marksman and really keen eyesight but if they could have defeated the the passive Kataras, like the mountain between the three of them being Gandalf Elrond and Gorfindel if they could have done anything because this is before Gandalf was Gandalf the White this is still Gandalf the Gray at this point in time um I think I probably still would have stayed the course and yeah I don't think I would have Done much different on that end, but I do think what I would have done differently is I don't think I would have split at that that juncture. And maybe they wouldn't even needed to split at that juncture either, you know, if, if Boromir didn't try to take the ring and cause a bunch of chaos. Because I don't think anyone in that in that party would attempt to take the ring. And I think that's the biggest key. If we could stop someone from trying to take the ring, we can keep the party together for a lot longer. And then maybe that's that's the one the one difference here. I would try to figure out a way to enter Mordor, maybe not going through the marshlands and all that, and having to get Smeagol involved because I I think getting Smeagol involved really led it to a a tough route. I would probably go to a different way. Maybe I would go around Gondor. Um. Yeah, that's I, I that's a probably. Well, even that's kind of that's kind of sketchy too. So I'm trying to take a look at this map here that they have in the books, and I I love the fact that they have a map in here. Um, yeah,
1: I was looking at that too. That I'm trying to figure really
0: out <laughs> exactly how I would want to do this. So honestly, because I can see where you can see where it starts branching off, where the you can see where the dead marshes are, and then you can also see where Minas Tirith is. Um, it's kind of you can go either way there and so what I might even think to do is I might go ahead go to South Gondor and then take this the the large sea and maybe take a boat to the back end of Mordor and try to uh, approach it from this I guess you can call it at that point it would be maybe the south of Mordor and then like where there's like the mountains kind of come to an end where the the meets the sea, I think that's kind of how I would probably do it. Just it seems you, you would kind of circumvent everything. Uh, that that'd probably be my first idea. And then maybe you could, at that point in time you could split it and kind of you know so that way not all of them are in one spot. And so maybe like four of them go through the sea on on one boat and the other maybe do a delay or just end up at different areas so that way it's not a bunch of people going up all at once in one big straight line you can have some deception to that as well that's what i would probably yeah i think that's what i would do i would take two boats i would go to the south of gondor through the sea and come and try to approach mordor from the rear where there's not where they're not as strong and where Barad-dur is not looking because Barad-dur is not looking behind itself um I'm, I'm looking at the map right now as I'm going through this. Barad-Dur is, is really close to the Black Gate. It's actually pretty close, very, very close to the Black Gate which is all the way at the front um, you know, facing Minas Tirith, facing um, Gondor. So that's probably what I would do. I think so. Um,
1: Here, yep. Here's a question. Do you ever risk just climbing those, instead of going through Minas Morgul, um, do you ever risk just climbing over the mountains of a plateau of Gorgoroth and then you can kind of come in the back way of where Mordor is and you you can argue that it might have the same effect as Menace Morgul, but then they wouldn't have had to encounter Shelob.
0: Well, that's what I was saying. I wouldn't even, even go to that part. I would, if we went down from the... what's it called? The... Lothlorien, the, the forest of Lothlorien and came to the same spot the, the falls of Roros which is where Boromir was was killed there right right past Emma mule I would go south to Gondor and then I would go all the way down where it says like there's a there's this river called the, the Harnan River. Mm-hmm. I would go ahead and take a boat from right around that area and circumvent this big large sea and maybe approach Mordor from the back end, where there's no mountains. Unless that's not a sea. And then at that point, because it says near Harad, and Harad is another type of people who end up coming and helping Mordor, but they go through the Harad road. So there's definitely a road there, meaning that might not be the sea. So at that point, then I would go ahead and go into Harad's land, because they're not going to know what's going on. That's what I would do. Then go up right where it says, like, Kond right behind Khan and try to approach Mordor from the south. I think that's the way I would yeah. go about it. Yeah, that's how I'd do it. That's
1: really good. Where's the mines on this um, the, map here? Because I'm looking from where the Shire is and going over to the right where you have uh, Mirkwood and all that stuff and then on the bottom is Rohan. So the mines... So uh, I'm looking from Lorien It's right, at that point. Where's,
0: it's right above Lorien. It says Moria Gate. So you're looking at where it says. You see where it says Dimrill Dale. Look a little bit to the left of that. Yeah. It says. Memo. Okay,
1: got it. I see. I see where that is. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um. I mean, that's a that's a pretty good idea. I thought you had a really good idea with the boats too. Um. Looking at this map, I almost think like the marshes is like a stupid idea. But I mean, I guess that's all they can really do it's so guarded i guess is the idea but here's kind of um who i would take so do you want me to tell you my list yeah let's jump into yours so i'm basically gonna build an army of fucking elves that's what i'm gonna do because elves are the shit <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive into it glorfindel He's just being fucking taken because he's Glorfindel. He's been there since almost like the beginning with the Silmarillion. He's been through this shit. Saved their ass at the Ford. But here's why I would take Glorfindel is because if you look at the map here, the old Ford, as long as you could actually, here, here's way easier said than done, of course. But let's start at the Shire here. If you can make it, From the Shire, go through the Old Forest like normal, just like you did with Tom Bombadil. Take the East-West Road, as long as you can make it past the rates. You could actually then take this last bridge here. Go all the way up to where Rivendell is, like they are, where the Fellowship starts. And then if you can take technically this, technically the Ford, if... If you can ride down the Brunin, is that even possible? But technically, you could ride down the Brunin all the way to where uh, and is. And then if you could cross over Glanduin, you can still get to the Moria Gate, go through the mines like normal, and then take Lorien like they did And then just take the Great River all the way down on a boat down to Mordor. Climb out the back over to where... uh, Here's what I would do. I would skip the marshes. But I would probably... I would just risk it with a big-ass army. And then take Induin right there instead of going through the actual marshes. But I would just take that river literally all the way down to Minas Tirith. Ride back up almost like if you're doing a check mark and then go through into it and then try to make my way down to Mordor that way. So I'm taking Glorfindel because you can ride that fucking old Ford all the way down. He's, shit. He's an elf. Number two, who am I taking? Gandalf, Gandalf, not only the gray, but you have Gandalf the white. He's gonna be whatever happens in that mines. That's why we're going through the mines because. Sorry, sacrifices have to be made, and we gotta have some more power here. So he's gonna come back as Gandalf the White. So that's Gandalf the White, and we got Glorfindel. Third on my list. Of course, I'm taking Legolas. I just don't know why you wouldn't. He he even speaks Elvish. Just like the normal elven species, Cinderin. He's the best with a bow. Remember when he shot that guy in the mine? How do you think you make it out through the mines? He shot an arrow through Nork's head, that's three. So you got Glorfindel, Gandalf, and you have Legolas. Who else am I taking? Just like you said, Elrond. He's been there since the beginning of time. I just don't know why he wouldn't. I just don't really understand why he actually was there when a sealed or fought. He knows the history of how to get into the Black Gate. So that's where it's gonna help when you make it way Make your way all the way to the back of Mordor there. So that's we're already stacked. We already got a stacked stacked army. I got to take Aragorn because we got to complete the task of, you know, he's got to bail on Arwen. We got to keep Elrond happy, you know, because he's part of the Fellowship. We can't have him bitching complaining and leaving like a bad breakup so he's gonna have to leave Arwen sorry that's why we're taking Glorfindel on this trip and you're gonna have to get with Eowyn and we're gonna make a nice little uh little pact here with um with the Riders of Rohan and we're gonna build this massive ass fucking alliance so what we're gonna do and now we got these big ass armies while old Gandalf the gray and Gandalf the white now he's come back he's gonna have his little tree beard going on. So he's going to have that side of things. So there you go. Your battle of Helm's Deep's fucking taken care of. We're stacked already. We're stacked. Haven't taken any losses yet, except for Gandalf came back. He was on a little reprieve Why it was halftime. That's what was going on. So now we got Glorfindel, Elrond, Gandalf the White, Aragorn, Going for five and six because well, here's you what already, I'm gonna do. You already
0: put uh, five. You had uh, Legolas. So you didn't. You didn't just. Put oh, him Legolas. Yeah, five. we can't
1: forget Legolas. Can't forget Legolas. He was a given. He was already thrown in there. I was just biasness. Threw him in there anyways. Six and seven. Here we go. Faramir and Boromir. Eli and Peyton Manning feeding off each other brothers in arms i'm talking back to back obi-wan and anakin here's how it'd probably go down faramir would make sure boromir don't take that fucking ring because he's like i'm your brother man can't do that shit and then they're gonna get up to mordor and then boromir would probably take the ring from frodo because you're not getting fucking Gollum involved anymore but faramir hold him down brothers in arms you're going back to back like battle of heroes obi-wan kenobi and anakin skywalker and then unfortunately boromir would have to get knocked into the fire because that's just part of it and that's your revenge of the sith lord lord of the rings style that's what would happen just like a sealed door but it has to happen but he's a big part of the journey here that's what's going down right last Sorry Miriam Pippin, you didn't make the cut. Neither did Sam. No one really fucking needs you at this point. Because you know why, Sam? We're already at the black gate. We're already at the black gate, Sam, and all you did was help out in that little marsh area that we didn't have to go down because we were smart enough you know, you can take a damn water taxi all the way from the old Ford with Glorfindel all the way down to practically Mordor. We just sailed that entire boat, just like Columbus sailed the ocean blue for three months. That's what we would have. We're just going to ride it down, Pirates of the Caribbean style. Last but not least, here we go. I'm taking your boy, the Gimli. The Gimli. Why? Because... He's a stone crafter. He can craft some stone. And uh, it's always good to have some other species in there. And who else would be there to compete against with Legolas? And they got to keep competing with those numbers when they're going to the Black Gate. Because they're going to go through the back, but that shit's going to be heavily fucking guarded. So you're going to have to take out some numbers, just like the Battle of Helm's Deep again. And who else is there going to make it fun for him? No one but Gimli, because he's got to prove his worth, because he doesn't have much. So that's my nine. We got Frodo Baggins, Glorfindel, Elrond, Gandalf the White, Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas, Boromir, and Faramir. Fucking stacked. I've already won. I didn't even have to form a fellowship, and I knew like it was just already in the bag. There's pretty much no point in playing. Sauron shouldn't have came to play today because it was over before it started, Tom Brady style. And well, uh, that Malice in the Chalice goes to the Shadow Realm, man. What do you think about that little fellowship I put together? See how I solved it first? First day on the job. First well, day on the job for Elrond.
0: You know our fellowship was exactly the same, except you added Boromir and I kept Sam. Like, like that was that was the only difference. This is a, those two. But the thing is, like, you cause a conflict for no reason. Like, you don't need Boromir there. You know, you can have him fighting off wars in Gondor, so that way he doesn't ever try to take the ring, and there's no conflict to start with. So I. And how are this... you
1: gonna? Um... But what's going to be exciting about that? Would you rather have this whole Obi Wan Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker fight on the gates of Mount Doom for the ring, like right at the top with the lava? Oh, that would be fucking sick.
0: No, because I want everyone to win and come back. <laughs> I want, I want to win the the, the battle. I want to get it done. I wanna, I want it to be efficient. I want it to be as easy as possible, and I want the the. You know, the people who are going to take the quest for the quest's sake to be the ones on the road. So that's why Boromir, you can lead all the armies of Gondor, fight off all the orc armies, all the ringwraith armies in Gondor, but you're not coming on this trip because you're going to try to take the ring. (laughs) And so you're going to sit your ass at home, and you're going to earn your glory the way that you know how, which is just chopping enemies' heads off and kicking ass and taking names, while Faramir... Does the, the other side of things and does like the more diplomatic, uh, you know, the, 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 the smarter of the two, you know,
1: and not the stronger, but the smarter. So I'm just so disappointed. That was your favorite guy. I thought he was an instant draft pick. That'd be like me living, uh, leaving Severus Snape at home because he hates children. I don't care if you don't like children. I'll still draft you. Nope. Don't, I don't <laughs> want him. Don't want him on the squad.
0: You can be my favorite guy. But if you're going to hurt the team. Never take the individual over the team. So.
1: Respected. respected. That, that's solid. Huh?
0: Okay, man, I'll let you take us away for our last chapter today, brother. Sounds like a plan. Cool. Last chapter here, chapter 21, the choices of Master Samwise. So a lot, there's a lot of big stuff here. I'm actually just going to go ahead and kick off this really sick battle that starts pretty much from mm-hmm. the beginning of the chapter for the first three pages. So Frodo is lying face upward on the ground. And the monster was bending over him, so intent upon her victim that she took no heed of Sam and his cries until he was close at hand. As he rushed up, he saw that Frodo was already bound in cords, wound about him from ankle to shoulder, and that the monster, with her great forelegs, was beginning to half-lift, half-drag his body away. On the near side of him lay, gleaming on the ground, his elven blade, where it had fallen useless from his grasp. Sam did not wait to wonder what was to be done or whether he was brave or loyal or filled with rage. He sprang forward with a yell and seized his master's sword in his left hand and he charged. No onslaught more fierce was ever seen in the savage world of beasts where some desperate small creature armed with little teeth alone will spring upon a tower of horn and hide that stands above its fallen mate. Disturbed, as if out of some gloating dream by a small yell, she turned slowly the dreadful malice of her glance upon him. But almost before she was aware that a fury was upon her greater than she had ever known in countless years, the shining sword bit upon her foot and shore away the claw. Sam sprang in inside the arches of her legs and with a quick upthrust of his other hand stabbed at the cluster eyes upon her lowered head one great eye went dark now the miserable creature was right under her for the moment out of the reach of her string and of her out of the reach of her sting and of her claws her vast belly was above him with its putrid light and the stench of it almost smote him down still his fury held for one more blow and before she could sink upon him smothering him in all his little impudence of courage he slashed the bright elven blade across her with desperate strength but Shelob was not as dragons are. No softer spot had she save only her eyes. Knobbed and pitted with corruption was her age-old hide, but ever thickened from within with layer on layer of evil growth. The blade scored it with a dreadful gash, but those hideous folds could not be pierced by any strength of men, not though elf or dwarf should forge the steel or the hand of Baron or of Turin to wield it. She yielded to the stroke and then heaved up the great bag of her belly high above Sam's head, poison frothed and bubbled from the wound. Now splaying her legs, she drove her huge bulk down on him again. Too soon, for Sam still stood upon his feet and and, and dropping his own sword, with both hands he held the elven blade point upwards, bending off that ghastly roof. And so Shelob, with the driving force of her own cruel will, with strength greater than any warrior's hand, thrust herself upon a bitter spike, and deep, deep it pricked, as Sam was crushed slowly to the ground. No such anguish had Shelob ever known or dreamed of knowing in all her long world of wickedness. Not the Dalitist soldier of old Gondor, nor the most savage orc entrapped, had ever thus endured her, or set blade to her beloved flesh, A shudder went through her, heaving up again, wrenching away from the pain. She bent her writhing limbs beneath her and sprang backwards in a convulsive leap. Sam had fallen to his knees by Frodo's head, his senses reeling in the foul stench, his two hands still gripping the hilt of the sword. Through the mist before his eyes, he was aware dimly of Frodo's face, and stubbornly he fought to master himself and to drag himself out of the swoon that was upon him, and slowly he raised his head and saw her, only a few paces away, eyeing him her beak drabbling a spittle of venom, and a green ooze trickling from below her wounded eye. There she crouched, her shuddering belly splayed upon the ground, with great bows of her legs quivering as she gathered herself for another spring, this time to crush and sting to death, no little bite of poison to the still struggling of her meat, this time to slay and then to rend. And even as Sam himself crouched, looking at her, seeing his death in her eyes, a thought came to him, as if some remote voice had spoken, and he fumbled in his breast with his left hand and found what he sought. A cold and a hard and solid it seemed to touch, and a phantom of the world of horror was the file of Galadriel. Galadriel, he said faintly, and then he heard voices far off but clear, the crying of the elves as they walked under the stars in the beloved shadows of the shire, and the music of the elves as it came through his sleep in the hall of fire in the house of Elrond. Giltonio al Elbereth, and then his tongue was loosed, and his voice cried in a language which he did not know. a Elbereth, Giltonio, o Menel o le-nalen-si-du-nigruraths, nigruraths a and... With that, he staggered to his feet, and was Samwise the Hobbit, Hamfast's son again. "'Now come, you filthy,' he cried. "'You've hurt my master, you brute, and you'll pay for it. "'We're going on, but we'll settle with you first. "'Come on and taste it again.' As if his indomitable spirit had set its potency in motion, the glass blazed suddenly like a white torch in his hand and flamed like a star leaping from the firmest sears the dark air with intolerable light. No such terror out of heaven had ever burned in Sheila's face before. The beams of it entered into her wounded head and scored it with unbearable pain, and the dreadful infection of light spread from eye to eye. She fell back beating the air with her forelegs, her sight blasted by inner lightings, her mind in agony. Then turning her maimed head away, she rolled aside and began to crawl, claw by claw towards the opening in the dark cliff behind. And Sam came on. He was reeling like a drunken man, but he came on. And Shelob cowed at last, shrunken in defeat, jerked and quivered as she tried to hasten from him. She reached the hole, squeezed down, leaving a trail of green-yellow slime she slipped in, even as Sam hewed a last stroke at her dragging legs, and then he fell to the ground. Shelob was gone, and whether she lay long in her lair, nursing her malice and her misery, and in slow years of darkness healed herself from within, rebuilding her clustered eyes until with hunger like death she spun once more her dreadful snares and the glens of the mountains of shadow, this tale does not tell. So that was pretty badass. Um, Wanted to talk about that a little bit. We got Sam, small little hobbit, not a warrior by any means, taking up a small elven blade called Sting, and with also the file of Galadriel, being able to beat Shelob into submission into where she retreated and did not come back out for round two she did not want any part of it sam just went full berserker mode it's like the hulk when a hulk gets angry man that he hurt his master and he he went off so that was one of sam's big shining moments he fought off this creature that that men and elves have died before like he was able to do it himself a small hobbit with a. The passion and the fury and the flame is ignited and you can't put it out once we light it, in the words of Eminem in this song forever. <laughs> so, anyways, I thought that was a fucking epic battle between Sam and Shelob. Sam really proved his worth to the Fellowship right then and there. If not any 5,000 other points throughout the series where Frodo would have been just fucking fucked if it wasn't for Sam. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the big thing there. So, next takeaway... As we learned that Shelob stung Frodo in the neck from behind. And so I'm going to go ahead and just read one paragraph here on page 384. I thought this is pretty important because this is, this is like a full circle moment here on page 384. And this is the, here it says, Frodo, Mr. Frodo, uh, Sam called. Don't leave me here alone. It's your Sam calling. Don't go where I can't follow. Wake up, Mr. Frodo. Oh, wake up. Frodo, hear me, dear. mere dear, wake up. Then anger surged over him and he ran about his master's body in a rage, stabbing the air and smiting the stones and shouting challenges. Presently he came back and, bending, looked at Frodo's face, pale beneath him in the dusk. Then suddenly he saw that he was in the picture that was revealed to him in the mirror of Galadriel and Lorien, Frodo with a pale face lying fast asleep under a great dark cliff, or fast asleep he had thought then. He's dead, he said. Not asleep, dead. And as he had, and as he said it, as if the words had set the venom to its work again, it seemed to him that the hue of the face grew livid green. So I thought that was pretty important. That's like a full circle moment of what he saw in the wooded, uh, like the the Lothlorien woods of the elves with Galadriel. She took him to his mirror, and he was able to see that he is now in that picture of what he saw. But it was this is this is all in despair this isn't like a good thing it's not something just oh Frodo looks great sleeping like no and Sam's mind right here right now Frodo's dead and like that was the like, thing was like almost like a splash of cold water in your face wake like, waking up from like a a nightmare that we, we we're supposed to do this together we we're supposed to take this ring to Mordor we we're supposed to cast it into the fire and You were you were like my best friend. I took care of your garden my whole life I've known you since I've been born you like, you know We've gone through all these journeys and this is how it ends and like I saw it happen like However, many months ago or weeks ago at this point probably weeks at this point because time goes by slowly here in this area So like however many weeks ago, I saw this exact moment come and I didn't say anything about it because I didn't know what it meant and all of a sudden it came to pass and, and like i said in, in sam's mind right now frodo's dead and like this whole this whole thing is going it, to it's going to get a lot more complicated for sam here in the next couple pages so uh, sam believes frodo's dead and has an internal struggle with himself on what to do next whether he has to leave frodo's body behind and continue the quest himself or if he should like stay and you know try to figure out like how what's he what's he going to do so I'm going to tell you uh, what he ends up doing. Um, this and then like this is like, really really sad. Uh, I, I I just I kind of want to ask you. Let's say we uh, you were on a journey with your best friend, and like it was a really important journey that really had the the weight of the world depending on it and the person you're, you're kind of like the like the like the person assisting along the way you're not like the main person you're the person assisting along the way and you're doing everything you can to try and make this mission a success and then this happens so close to the end like talk to me about how you would feel about that and like how crazy like the emotions going through sam must be right now
1: i think the word is broken uh really the word is broken um I mean, you know what's funny is it relates to real life in a way. I mean, we can even kind of relate here on the podcast. I mean, you know, um, even if something got down to the point, like, you know, you put so much work in and you go on the journey together, if something happened to one of us, you know, we just feel like kind of all was lost, even if, you know, uh, one kept the other one going and just kept... Uh, the business going on its own, which is kind of like what Sam is doing, which is like what I would want you to do or uh, I would try to do it, but you still like even the mental... I think the hardest part is even just doing a mental check on yourself, like keeping yourself mentally around because I I think, you know, this is a very deep question um, because it's very... I think in this moment if you really look at Sam's perspective I think a lot of people are forgetting and realizing just because it's basically a storybook what a dark place he probably is in I mean this is a guy he's been friends with since the Shire like his best friend, it goes beyond journeys and tasks and everything, it's about the bond you build as a friendship and to be able to even try to complete that task like he does. Um, And then where he realizes which imagine the amount of blame he puts on himself in just a minute. uh, You know I think it's something any two best friends can relate to just like us. I mean same thing. I mean it's a broken feeling that you'll never be able to take away. If something like that ever happens, so flipping that around, you know, imagine the sense of a relief. It kind of gets in a minute. But going back to like what he did with Shilob, I think that's what it comes down to. If one of your best friends is in that situation or going with anything in life, you do whatever you can to get them out of that situation and you'll not let anyone step in your way. And I think that's what it really comes down to. Just like, you know, Shelob, for instance, she's devoured elves. <laughs> Who would have thought like a hobbit could have gotten past her? But that's what it really comes down to. It's almost like, you know, Jane Ellie and I grew up playing football. And I think this is one thing almost even like sports can teach you lightly. Uh, I, on a personal level, it's much even deeper than that. But it's just like being down at a football game and you realize like your only way out is through that person or if something, you know, someone's in the way of you and your best friend and what's going on or even a member of your family. You you will get past that person. There is no question of will I be able to take this person on or will I be able to get through them? there is no thought it's kind of like breaking a board in karate like all these people wonder how they're able to do this you just go through it there is no thoughts you just make it happen and you get through it um and you and you know you let the chips fall where they may but you go down swinging and that's what I've always been taught so that's like my thought on Sam here is I think a lot of people don't realize the emotional state he's probably even in at this moment, just because they're looking from the point of the journey of how the ring goes. What about you?
0: Yeah, I think that pretty much the same exact thing. And he probably feels like he failed. Honestly, you know, he had one task was you know to stick by Frodo's side, make sure that they could complete the task, and you know he feels like he failed on that end. But then on top of that, you you incorporate. the the friendship aspect and like the length of time that they've known each other and how they grew up together and all that. Yeah. I I think, I think a huge sense of loss, it's like a sense of failure, a sense of loss, uh, a sense of brokenness. I think that pretty much kind of encompasses how Sam's feeling at the moment in this exact point in time. But the good news is it it does go on here and some, some, (laughs) some fortunes do kind of turn and to kind of jump into that a little bit. Uh, I wanted to read this, this part right before we get to like, the big revelation, right? Uh, so it says, Then at last he began to weep. And going to Frodo, he composed his body and folded his cold hands upon his breast and wrapped his cloak about him. And he laid his own sword at one side and the staff that Faramir had given him at the other. If I'm to go on, he said, then I must take your sword by your leave, Mr. Frodo. I'll put this one to lie by you, as it lay by the old king in the barrow. And you've got your beautiful mithril coat from old Bilbo and your star glass Mr. Frodo you did lend it to me and I'll need it for I'll always be in the dark now it's too good for me and the lady gave it to you but maybe she'd understand do you understand Mr. Frodo I've got to go on so Sam's makes a choice that he's gonna pick up the rest of this journey on his own he's gonna shoulder the rest of the weight and and um, he weighs all the options takes the ring and so I'm gonna go ahead and read from page 386 here Last paragraph on 386 to the 1st and page 387 says, He stopped. Very gently he undid the clasp at the neck and slipped his hand inside Frodo's tunic. Then with his other hand raising the head, he kissed the cold forehead and softly drew the chain over it. And then the head lay quietly back again in rest. No change came over the still face. And by that, more than all other tokens, Sam was convinced at last Frodo had died and laid aside the quest. Goodbye, Master, my dear, he murmured. Forgive your Sam. He'll come back to the spot when the job's done if he manages it, and he'll not leave you again. Rest you quiet till I come, and may no foul creature come anguish you. And if the lady could hear me and give me one wish, I would wish to come back and find you again. Goodbye. That's pretty heavy. That's like a that's an emotional little like section that would you just read there, so Uh, basically from there Sam starts to leave but orcs come down from the watchtower and surround the area and what he has to do is put the ring on so that way he's not seen and this is crazy putting the ring on this close to Mordor like man that's that's insane but uh, at the end of the day you gotta do what you gotta do so he puts the ring on um, the, the orcs notice Frodo's body and they approach it and Sam has like a tough decision and decides to go back to Frodo's body even though he had a clear shot at getting into Mordor undetected he makes a decision to go back because he doesn't want orcs spoiling his his master's body. Um, But the orcs do in fact take Frodo's body and Sam follows them. And we actually learned that a message had come to the orcs that made them exit the watchtower. And that message is actually on page 393. I wonder where this message came from, but it was pretty crazy. It says "Uh, about an hour ago just before you saw us, a message came. Nazgul uneasy. Spies feared on the stairs. Double vigilance patrol to head of stairs, and so I came at once. So it's just interesting, like, where did that message come from and from who? You know, it could be from Sauron himself. So I thought that was interesting. Mm. But we learned that, in fact, Sauron wanted so this is this is another full circle moment here, too. Another takeaway I had we actually learned that Sauron wanted the orcs to let Smeagol escape, even though Smeagol didn't know it himself. So the others were right, the others throughout the book that said, Hey, was. Sméagol did he escape barad or was he let go? They, this just confirmed it that Sauron let him go. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then the orcs put it together that Frodo was not alone. And this is that this is going to be on page three ninety four. Let me go ahead and put that here. And this I wanted to talk about this just simply because um, this is really important from them realizing that there might be someone else here. It says, I don't interfere when she's playing. Nothing gets by Sheila when she's on the hunt. Nothing, say you. Didn't you use your eyes back there? I tell you, I'm not easy in my mind. Whatever came up the stairs did get by. It cut her web and got clean out of the hole. That's something to think about. Ah, well, but she got him in the end, didn't she? Got him? Got who? This little fellow? But if he was the only one, then she'd have had him off to her larder long before, and there he'd be now. And if Lugbergs wanted him, you'd have to go and get him. Nice for you. But there was more than one. At this point, Sam began to listen more attentively and press his ear against the cold stone. "'Who cut the cords she put around him, Shagrat? Same one as cut the web. Didn't you see that? And who stuck a pin in her ladyship? Same one, I reckon. And where is he? Where is he, Shagrat? And Shagrot made no reply. "'You may well put your thinking cap on if you've got one. It's no laughing matter. No one.' "'No one has ever stuck a pin in Shila before, as you should well know enough. "'There's no grief in that, but think, there's someone loose hereabouts as is more dangerous than any other damned rebel "'that ever walked since the bad old times, since the great siege. "'Something has slipped.' "'And what is it, then?' growled Shagrat. "'By all the signs, Captain I'd say, there's a large warrior loose. "'Elf, most like, with an elf sword anyway, and an axe as well.' And maybe he's loose in your bounds, too, if you've ever spotted him. Very funny indeed, Gorbeck spat. And smile. Sam smiled grimly at this description of himself. So they find out, like they realize that there's Frodo wasn't alone. And I thought that was pretty cool there because of how they decided they were going to describe the the person that must have been able to pierce Shelob. Like this large warrior elf with elven blades and maybe an axe, too. And in reality, it was just small little Sam who was acting on a reactive emotion. And so thought that was pretty cool but um plot twist we learned that frodo isn't dead so that that's what they tell him there because you know she she does as a paralytic that sting is a paralytic and then wraps him up to eat for later and so the whole big you know thing full circle here he is not dead and that kind of is a big relief for Sam, although now they're in this pickle because the orcs have Frodo's body. Now he knows Frodo's not dead. How's Sam going to leave him and complete the quest now when he knows Frodo's, you know, he, he would be leaving Frodo to be taken to Barad-Dur in front of Sauron. So now we're in a real fucking pickle. So I, it's funny, and it, it, this is a this is just a passage from the book that I, I thought was interesting that Sam said to himself. He says, You fool, he isn't dead, and your heart knew it. Don't trust your head, Samwise. It's not the best part of you. That was really funny.
1: (laughs) That was great.
0: (laughs) And then I wanted to read the last paragraph on page three ninety six here, just because there's a full circle of like the thing from the very very beginning. It said, um, "The voices began to move away. Sam heard the sound of the feet receding. He was recovering from his shock, and now wild fury was on him. I got it all wrong," he cried. "I knew I would. Now they've got him. The devils. The filth. Never leave your master. Never, never. That was my right rule." and i knew it in my heart may i be forgiven now i've got to get back to him somehow somehow and so why i thought this was a cool full circle moment because you remember the, the way he was told don't leave him samwise like like that's what he was told that and i don't know if this is actually meant to be a full circle thing but it kind of turned out that way if he would just listen to the what like the one thing he was told when he started this quest he wouldn't yeah. have been in this situation so it's just really funny <laughs> how that kind of turned around but uh yeah, Sam tries to run and catch up to the orcs, but they close the doors just before he can get in. And then just the last paragraph uh, of this whole chapter is, The great door slammed to. Boom. The bars of iron fell into place inside. Clang. The gate was shut. Sam hurled himself against the bolted brazen plates, and it fell senseless to the ground. He was out in the darkness. Frodo was alive, but taken by the enemy. And that is the end Bad-ass. of the novel and the chapter uh what takeaways did you have from that chapter
1: no man I, I think you nailed it i mean just a side note not really important at all the orcs were Gorbag and shagrat and they were attempting to take frodo to the orc lugbergs so uh, lugbers <laughs> not that it matters or we'll ever hear from them again well but, i think uh, i
0: think luzberg is the orc's word for the baradur the tower where
1: sauron resides i think that's their, oh, okay I, I think that's there what yeah so that makes sense yeah, that would be really strange. I was thinking, like, alerts. Like, maybe there was a <laughs> another Lurtz walking around. No, it was good stuff, man. I think you nailed it. Um, any debates or that you had for uh, today?
0: I'll let you go ahead and kick us off. I know I just kind of took a lot of, of this episode reading some of the stuff from the book, so I'll let you go ahead and, and take it away with the debates you got.
1: No, it was good. Uh, it was a lot of really important information. Um, my, I guess my debate for today would be do you think going through the route they took, that Smeagol took them there, even though that was a trap that was set, do you think it really was, given how heavily the Black Gate was guarded, do you think it really was the only option, given the situation they were currently in just Frodo and Sam um despite it being a trap do you think they really had no other choice I think that in, in their minds that would be an
0: accurate statement because they just don't know the land they've never been to Mordor before they don't know where there's weaknesses or strengths in the borders of getting into that specific country or city whatever you want to call Mordor but um I'm sure that there are other ways in, but maybe not ones that Smeagol knew, maybe not ones that Frodo and Sam knew, so in their mind, this was their one shot at getting in. I think that they truly believed that, but as you and I, looking at the maps, were taking a look at it when we did the Fun Malice and the Chalice a little bit earlier, we could see that there definitely seems to be areas that Mordor can be entered from. It just would take a lot longer to get to those areas, and maybe the road is dangerous and stuff, but uh, I think in their mind that is that was their only one shot to get into mordor. that's what i think. what about you?
1: yeah, i have to agree with you. i mean i think your chances of going another route disappeared when the fellowship broke. like cuz think about it the people that have the knowledge out of that group. really the only i mean you could argue probably gandalf, aragorn and maybe legolas have like some knowledge of The paths in Mordor into the Black Gate, based on how, you know, their age and the history that they know. But, I mean, you're talking about two hobbits that haven't stepped foot too far out of the Shire before. So I think this is, I I agree with you 100%. I think that's really the only option. What about you, man? My debate is
0: let's play the fun what if game. What if. Frodo did in fact die and the the mission was left to Sam and what if that was how it was meant to be like that's why they had those two kind of stuck together the whole time because the you know, hobbits seemed to have some sort of resilience to the ring and that um, they thought it unlikely that Frodo would be able to do it on his own and so that's exactly why Sam was going with him is because the the, the powers that be you know Gandalf Elrond and the council or whatever we're like hey there's a good chance that Frodo doesn't make it and so let's say that let's say that that was a, a fact and Frodo didn't make it what do we think of the the quest now do we think Sam could could get us home do you think he could get us the rest of the way like obviously there's still a whole nother book to read so we don't even know how this ends I mean obviously we do because we've read it before but like in, in terms of chronological order we don't know how this ends at all but do you think that we've got a good decent chance? I get in this thing home if Sam is now the one that's in that's in the driver's seat with the ring in his possession.
1: Ooh, that's tough. (laughs) That's a tough one. Um, You know what's interesting about that question is too. It's kind of like the Harry Potter flip, right? Like Harry, you almost thought Neville was like the chosen one there. If this actually happened and it played out where Sam was chosen to, you know, kind of carry out the mission on his own. I believe Sam could, but it's basically a one-way ticket. Like, no one's getting home at that point. I believe he could uh, based on, I don't want to give anything away, but kind of just even the drive we've seen in Shelob's lair here. um, And kind of what he shows us at the end which we don't want to give anything away, but based on his efforts and how he kind of, you know, things he proves later on, which I don't want to give anything away about his uh, tactical ability, I believe he could be very difficult, but at that point I think, (laughs) you know, this other companion that we've been traveling with, I think that would come into play, and I think it's basically a one-way ticket. Like, I think he could, but I don't think there's any way of getting out. Um, I think that's what it is. You got a one-way ticket, and it's possible. Very difficult. Uh, That's really all I can say about it, because I don't have enough really factual information to go on what if. But that's what I would say is just based on his drive and what he proves later on in the next installment on how he's able to do things, he could, but you're going to have that one variable that plays a big role that we've already kind of seen in this book here as their guide through the marshes. <laughs> and I think it's a one-way ticket. What about you? So if it just takes up from right here, I think it's it's a
0: I don't want to say good possibility but it's definitely a possibility that he could finish it out himself because we're already so close like we don't know how, the the, the variables that I see us having is a couple things, we don't know how fast the ring would start to take a hold on Sam's mind, right It's mm-hmm. it's, it's it, Frodo's had it for the past you know five months and some change or whatever it might be and so like it's already had a chance to take hold on him over time and you can see it was starting to wear on him and it was growing heavy and you know his mind's not always there. Like he almost gave himself up in Minas Morgul to the king of the Ringwraiths. You know, so I, would, I think it would depend on how fast the ring could like ensnare Sam's mind. Um, that's definitely one big variable. The other variable is as well that you mentioned uh, the other companion that has <laughs> has gone away too. Uh, that that's going to be a big thing because it's easier when you've got someone else there to kind of help you if if something like that were to arise. Um, so those are two really big ones. And on top of that, we he doesn't... Man, this is tough because let's say he just goes and enters Mordor and leaves Frodo's body behind as he planned on doing. And we got to assume he... I just he, there's still some tactical things that he would need to, to learn, like how how to just you're not just going to run straight across the plane and go up to the the the, the entrance of Mount Doom. <laughs> You've got to like avoid being seen. You've got to you know kind of blend in in a way, and that is some things we need to think about and how could we do it and if what doesn't happen here and, and, and then and on the next in book it, there's. There's a way that they're able to do that and blend in, and but again, that's with two people, and again, that's that not so much included, just leaving that area right away. That is, um, there's other parts that go into it. So, point being is that it's definitely possible because they're so close to it, it's just it would come down to a few variables like those, those things, like, um. Does the ring take hold of Sam's mind quickly? Is it something he can hold off for a little bit? They're already so close to Mordor. Is it something that, you know, we can we can shake off? That's number one. Does this another companion come into play where we're we're in another fight for our lives type of deal? And then how do we enter still undetected? Even though we're in there now, how do we remain unseen and with the ring so close to, to Sauron? So those are the, the, the three caveats there. But I definitely think the likelihood is probably a little bit better than a 50-50 chance. I would probably say since we're so close to Mordor as it is and no one saw him get go past it, we're probably at a 65% chance that he could do it, 45% chance that something goes wrong and he can't. So that's what I would say.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I mean, it's possible, but it's uh, a lottery ticket. <laughs> I guess we would find out, but yeah man uh it's good stuff today we are done with the two towers book uh we got two episodes of the differences and uh like that train keeps rolling man that train keeps rolling i'll let you uh kind of close us out for the day
0: sounds like a plan like like you said you're 100 correct we are finished with the two towers novel we are going right into differences part one and differences part two talking about the films and that's going to be a, a challenge on its own, because not only are we going to be watching the extended editions and that taking up time just because it's a, almost a four hour film between the two parts, but also trying to remember back to what happened in like the beginning parts of the book, because it it, it skips around so much. And then some parts are in this book that aren't in the film, specifically this last chapter, the like last couple of chapters <laughs> that we read. So it is going to be an interesting challenge to see, you know. How how well we can try to make it align the best we can and the parts that did show up during both the novel and the film and and how those compared to each other that, that were in both. So yeah, I'm excited and looking forward to it. But at the end of the day, guys, uh, you know this is your first time stopping by and checking out Factor Fantasy with Chase and Josh. Uh, thank you for stopping by. We hope you liked what you heard. Hope you want to stick around some more. Uh, if you want to figure out where you can follow us, uh, we are on Instagram at patronus. We are on TikTok at patronus. We are on Facebook, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We're on YouTube, Ridiculous Patronus. We are also have our own website, RidiculousPatronus.blogspot.com. We've got a backup Instagram, fact underscore or underscore fantasy on Instagram, at fact underscore or underscore fantasy on TikTok as well. So you can find follow us on any of those social sites. Uh, please go ahead and leave us reviews, subscribe, click like. Uh, all the reviews on Apple Podcasts that we have, we love to see those come in. So, Uh, I know that Spotify is also accepting star reviews now, so please go ahead and and give us a star rating on Spotify if you haven't done so already. Uh, We really love that. And then if you're kind of curious on where you can find the podcast itself, well, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You know, if you're an Apple user, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you're an Android user, you can find us on Google Play or Spotify. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on uh, Acast. We're on Stitcher. We're on Podbean. We are wherever you get your podcast chase and josh factor fantasy are there but we're out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production chase and josh factor fantasy signing Signing off. off